the highest rank in the Marines, the Army, and the Air Force is General. Now, there are different levels of General, but General is the highest rank that you can achieve. The rank right below General is the Colonel. And for a professional athlete to have the nickname of Colonel in hockey or any other sport for that matter, you have to be tough. Ladies and gentlemen, today I present part one of my interview with the Colonel, Brian Curran. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The puck drops and Bob Gardner goes right to King Flatsenburg. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. Welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box. I'm your host, Joe Lazito. So I hope everyone had a great week. I hope over the past week you had time to check out my interview with Eric Bolton. I thought Bolts was an amazing guest. I definitely think it's worth your while to give it a listen. And uh, if you did listen, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, just a few things for this intro, as always. Um, if you're listening to the show, I appreciate that. If you're a first-timer, welcome. And if you're a repeat listener, then welcome back. Um, fact that you guys I don't care if you're driving if you're working if you're sitting on your couch whatever you're doing if you're taking the time to listen to the show it means the world to me thank you very much and if you are listening to the show if you could do me a favor and please subscribe to the show um, I guess on every platform you're able to subscribe or whatever term they use on their platform where you get updates when a new show appears and actually I know on um, on Apple when you subscribe you get, the, uh, you get the episode as soon as it's uploaded. So I usually upload these Sunday nights, and then for non-subscribers on Apple, they get them at some point on Monday. But if I upload this on Sunday night and you subscribe, you'll actually get it Sunday night. It'll appear on your list of podcasts if you do subscribe. And I'm going to assume that maybe that's how the other platforms work too. I'm not sure because I listen to my uh, podcast on Apple. But I know when you subscribe, you pretty much get them as soon as they're uploaded. So please do me a favor and subscribe to this podcast. Uh, also, if you could like it, you know, rate it, hopefully you uh, value this as a five-star show. Um, I guess even if you, if you hate it but you listen and you want to give it a one-star, be my guest. I think the more ratings, the better. But if you're able to rate the show and if you have a minute to review it, it doesn't have to be 10 paragraphs. It could be 10 words. It could be one word. But apparently all this stuff helps when uh, they're doing their algorithm. And uh, I think I appear in more searches um, once again, I say I'm going to research this, and once again, I haven't in the past week. So, uh, please, if you are a fan of the show, please like, 
uh, and subscribe and read the show if you have a minute. I, I do appreciate that. If you're on social media, and who isn't nowadays, uh, on Twitter, the Twitter handle for the show is at Kali Sin Bin Pod. Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box is way too long for an at for Twitter, so I had to condense penalty box into Sin Bin and podcast into pod. And of course, Coliseum into Kali. That's how you get Kali Sin Bin Pod. Please give me a uh, follow on there. I will follow you back. And if you want to follow my personal page, which really doesn't veer much from the podcast page, but, um, you know, there's a little more um, hockey on that one. Not, well, I should say this. The, the Kali Sinbin pod account is generally focused on Islanders. Um, Islander fighters, Islander this, Islander that. Where on my uh, personal account, all, um, all the hockey stuff that's on there is, it could be any team. Doesn't It's Islanders, but it could be any team. It could be any player that I like. So... Uh, I think uh, I think I'm a decent follow. Uh, I'm you know I'm not uh, I'm not uh, Superman, but but I think I'm okay. And like I said, if you follow both, I'll follow you back on both. So uh, once again, the uh, show Twitter is at Kali Sinbin Pod, and my personal Twitter is at Joe underscore Lozito. If you're on Facebook, the uh, page for the podcast is Facebook.com/slash Coliseum Chronicles Podcast. Please go there, give it a like. Uh, again, you'll see the content in your feed, and wouldn't you much rather see uh, something about an Islander fighter than some more political bullshit in your feed? You know you would, because even if you follow politics, you have to admit it's all bullshit nowadays. So give it a like, and um, it'll appear in your timeline. Uh, Instagram, Joseph underscore Lozito. Like I said, this, is, this was mostly a, uh, a personal Instagram. Uh, and it's really just turned into the show Instagram. I don't really post much. I'm a 49 year old man. Nobody really needs to see many pictures of me. So, uh, you know, how about, uh, you know, just give that a follow or, or I guess it is a follow. Yeah, I guess Instagram's a follow. So follow, I'll follow you back and, uh, just we'll, we'll have some fun, you know? So as you know, uh, I've announced a couple of weeks ago that Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box merchandise is available. Uh, my buddy Jeff literally just posted something on Twitter that he purchased a shirt. Looks great in the shirt, Jeff. Uh, you look awesome in the picture. Thank you very much for buying that. I've had some other people send me pictures and post pictures with the t-shirt. And uh, man, thank you so much. Uh, it's crazy to think that right now there's someone in his hometown walking around with my t-shirt on. Uh, it's mind-boggling actually. And it's, uh, it's very humbling. It, it is. It, there's no other word. I mean, honor, yes, it's an honor, but it's humbling to think that right now uh, Jeff could be walking into a store, buying his morning paper, getting his coffee, and uh, he's got my shirt on, and um, uh, it just blows my mind. So um, anyone who's purchased any items from the uh, Coliseum Chronicles store, I appreciate that. Um, once again, as I always say, there's 22 items, might be 23, I might be adding a mask, I still haven't received my prototype yet, but as of now, there's 22 items. Uh, everything on there for men, women, children. Um, I mean, there's socks, there's onesies, there's tote bags, there's shirts, there's tank tops. Um, she's sweatshirts, which you don't obviously need right now. Um, but, you know, get ready for uh, fall and winter. Get your Coliseum Chronicles hoodie. Uh, there's uh, a lot of good stuff on there. And uh, the guy who did my logo, Joe Marisic, you've heard me tout his greatness before. Uh, he, he does, I mean, does an amazing job with everything. So, um, so if you're interested in buying some merchandise, it's teespring.com slash stores slash 
coliseum-chronicles-merch. But again, you can get the link on all my social media. You can get the link actually in the episode description uh, for this very show that you're listening to right now. So uh, I think it's identic. So unless you don't have an identic memory, um, just just look for the link and you'll see it. But if you do have a, me- uh, a memory that you can remember everything I just said, and if I said member, then I meant remember, but uh, tripping over my words. If you can remember the website I just gave you from scratch, congratulations. You're, uh, you have a much better memory than I do. I just mentioned Joe Marisich, the artistic genius behind my logo. Uh, Joe is uh, a guy that you can hire to do artwork. Uh, very cool guy, very easygoing, very cooperative. Um, and actually, for my logo, I had a totally different idea going into it. Uh, but his knowledge of the subject and his knowledge of stuff being printed on shirts and hats and everything really came in handy and uh, we came up with the logo that I have now and I couldn't be happier and if you're interested in uh, Joe's services you can find him on Twitter at GraphicsJoker and at LoudEgg.com check Joe's stuff out he really is amazing and uh, if you uh, if you like my show I'm pretty sure you'd like a few other shows it's the fourth line voice hosted by Darren Um, Darren just well again here we go so his uh he has two episodes a week on the Hockey Podcast Network. Uh, Mondays is a classic episode from his old website, and Wednesdays uh, he brings you a new episode. But since I subscribed to his show, I just saw on my phone that I actually have his Monday episode right now, uh, and I could listen to it right now. And it's a great episode. I really urge you to listen to with the former player Les Borsheim. I don't really want to give too much away because I really want you to go and research Les and uh, listen to the podcast because Les's story is, is wild and it's pretty amazing and, and uh, what he's done since uh, a changing moment in his life is nothing short of incredible so please go to Fourth Line Voice listen to his latest episode with Les Borshine. Uh also Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel over 2,000 fights like I say all the time if you've watched the fight on YouTube it's probably on the Fourth Line Voice channel Bucket Drop podcast hosted by Bobby Longgrass just released this week part 2 of the top 10 Islanders enforcers with yours truly so um, if you haven't checked out Bobby's show yet check it out um, questionable rapper I mean maybe he's, he's a little young and uh, I don't know maybe his skills will get a little bit better when uh, when he gets a little bit older but I doubt it uh, you know he's a nice guy and everything but uh, maybe it's not him maybe it's just the genre it's not really my cup of tea but uh, I always get a, I always get a chuckle and a smile when I hear his raps so uh, but other than his rapping, definitely check out his show. It's always a lot of fun, and it was it was great fun doing it. We had a great chat, and hopefully I'll be on there again at some point. And uh, also, Alec Olin-Salen, Five for Fighting podcast. Uh, Alec has a show coming up. I don't think it's been released yet, but he's got one coming up with uh, former NHLer Chris McAllister. Uh, everyone's familiar with Chris, you know, former Canuck and Flyer, uh, Maple Leaf, of course. He played there, and I uh, can't wait to hear that one. And uh, if you're on Facebook again, uh, Alec is the creator of the Enforcer Appreciation page. Check that out. And uh, like I said, if you're listening to this show, all the shows and the channels I just gave you, I'm sure you'll enjoy. And you probably are already enjoying them. So, uh, but just in case you're not, uh, definitely check those out. So, um, as far as, uh, you know, I usually ad-lib here a little bit, a little rant here and there. And uh, I'm not really going to do that this week. The one thing I will say is... um, the uh, you know as far as the unemployment goes, like for someone like myself, I'm still unemployed. I am I am uh, furloughed, furloughed, and uh, I think this probably in the next couple of weeks 
that extra six hundred dollars uh, is supposed to evaporate from the unemployment. I think that's a that's a federal benefit in addition to the state benefits, state benefits that uh, one would receive on unemployment. And I see, you know, I've scrolled a few social media sites and I see people going, well, it's, you know, it's keeping people out of work and they should just get rid of it and blah, 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 blah. And you know what? I think it probably has kept a certain amount of people out of work because if you're making minimum wage and now you're getting, you know, that extra $600 alone might be more than what you take home a week. So it really is for some people taking away the incentive to go back to work. But for those of you who are hypercritical of it and maybe not giving it a lot of thought, uh, take my case, for instance. Uh, I can't go back to work. I want to go back to work. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm loving being at home with my family, being around them 24 hours a day. We like being around each other. You know, I see other people posting how they're at each other's throats and how they just want to get out. And that's just not the case here. We, we really enjoy each other's company. Uh, I love being around my wife. I love being around my kids. So in that respect, this is a godsend. I just, uh, you know, there are so many times in my life when my kids were growing up where I commuted from Philadelphia to New York and I, I would basically miss five, six hours a day just in my commute. Forget about the work day. And uh, part of me feels like I'm getting some time back and, and that's the ultimate gift. And um, But on the other hand, you're, you're raised a certain way and I know at least in my generation, uh, you want to work and you want to know that you're supporting your family and you know when that check comes in every week you know that you've earned it and it's just something to say when you have your paycheck for uh, a job well done and uh, you're paying your bills and you know it's just it's just a mindset and while I would I mean listen if I win Powerball before I go back to work I'm probably not going back to work but I'm also probably not winning the Powerball so I want to at least have some sort of normalcy. I'd love for my job to open so I can go back. I enjoy my job. Um, you know, for the I'm not out in the heat. I'm not out in the cold. Uh, I work for a great company. I work with some great people. And it'll at, when we do reopen, it will be nice to get back to that. And of course, I'm going to miss the time with my family. But I don't have a choice. I can't go back to work. I don't even have my ID. They took my ID. I can't even get in the building right now. Uh, because we're closed. So for me, uh, listen, my wife makes a pretty good salary too, but I'm definitely the one that makes more money and, and my salary is more relied upon. Um, and to be honest, if they get rid of the extra $600, that's going to really screw us. So um, I just want to say for those of you who have been, uh, you know, high and mighty about that, yeah, of course, it's probably keeping some people out of work, maybe that work in retail or something like that. And, and, you know, you do the same thing. If you were used to bringing home four or five hundred dollars a week, and now you're bringing home eight eight hundred dollars a week, let's say, yeah, you'd probably do the same thing. But there are plenty of people in a position similar to myself where I want to go back to work to support my family, but I can't go back to work. And this six hundred dollars has been a godsend. It's kept me. It's kept a roof over my head. It's kept groceries in my my fridge, and uh, you know, it's it's kept. Uh, I've been able to pretty much stay steady with my bills. And, um, you know, so that's just really a message to, to those of you who are a little critical about the extra 600. Don't think about the 22 year old kid that that's working at the movies that is rolling in dough now because he's probably bringing home 800 bucks a week with that extra 600. Think about the families that, that really need that. So um, hopefully uh, in the next few episodes, uh, well, you'll know if you follow any sort of news, you'll know if they extend it. But 
you know, just uh, maybe pump the brakes a little bit uh, and get off the soapbox about the extra $600. If you're in a position where it doesn't matter to you, then consider yourself blessed because it matters to me. And uh, if they do take that away, then it's going to be a, a difficult road going forward until uh, my job decides to open and let us back in. But uh, that's my little real life spiel. Um, the other thing is I see nobody has taken my advice because now more than ever, it's all these people preaching to wear the mask. And again, I don't disagree with you. When I go out, I wear a mask. When I have to wear a mask to go out, well, go into uh, establishments because you have to wear a mask. Nobody's gonna let you in without a mask and I don't have a problem with that. But again, I want you to use your head. If you're preaching to people to wear a mask, at this stage of the game, if they're not wearing a mask, they're definitely not gonna wear a mask because you said to. So maybe maybe think about something else. Like, you know, think, think about something happier instead of being so aggressive. Uh, maybe think about your family or flowers or birds or babies or, you know, funny videos that you saw. But um, nobody listened to me. Well, you know, they didn't take my advice. But anyway, hopefully sooner rather than later we'll be past this bullshit because it really is what it is. It's bullshit. And, um, you know, I'm tired of it. I'm sure everyone's tired of it. So fuck COVID and, uh, you know, please let's get past this. So now on to more fun things. This is part one of my interview with the Colonel, Brian Curran. And uh, this is an interview that I have been waiting to do. I wanna thank uh, Kurt Walston. Kurt's a good friend of mine. We go back a ways and uh, we, we just reconnected a few weeks ago and we were bullshitting and he brought up Brian Curran. And I had no idea that he had actually worked for the Colonel. He was an assistant coach uh, a few seasons ago with him. And oh my God, I got goosebumps when he said that. And uh, I said, hey, if there's any way you can hook me up with Brian, I would be eternally grateful. Uh, and, you know, Kurt's a pretty beloved guy. And for people that know Kurt, everyone knows how awesome he is. He's, he's beloved in his circle. And uh, I think it just took a simple question to the colonel. And as you know, the colonel said to me that he would do anything for Kurt. And uh, I just want to thank you, Kurt, for uh, hooking me up with Brian. This was an interview that I, I just wanted to do so badly. Uh, like Eric Bolton last episode, Curran is another guy, believe it or not, all the years of me, you know, interviewing guys and meeting up with guys and con uh, having conversations with guys, I never, ever ran into the Colonel. And um, his Islander tenure was a little bit before my time in terms of uh, driving and, you know, going to Kenyak Park and going to the Coliseum whenever I wanted. So I missed out. And uh, as I look back, I can't figure out how in God's name I, uh, I never actually got a chance to speak with him in person but uh you know they say good things come to those who wait and i actually think this interview i did with him uh he he's unbelievable what a great interview uh, i i loved it as he was as he was speaking uh i was just sitting there with a smile on my face the guy's got stories for days he's a he's very articulate and um he's not shy that's for sure so uh that's a great combo when you're interviewing somebody and um we chatted for nearly four hours so obviously this will be a two-parter and here's part one. But there is a stat. I, I just want to give an example of how the game has changed. So the Colonel holds an Islander record that will never, ever, ever be broken. And you've heard me mention it a million times on the show. Uh, Brian Curran in, let's see, I want to get the year right. 1986-87 played 68 games for the Islanders and had 356 penalty minutes. That record will never be broken. And I guarantee you probably... In 10 years, a team won't get 356 penalty minutes. But to kind of give you a comparison, I went to the Islanders' stats 
from this season, okay? And the beautiful thing is, uh, well, it's not beautiful that they didn't finish the season, but the Islanders also played 68 games this year. 68 games this year. What the hell is wrong with me? 68 games played for the Islanders this year. The same number of games played by Brian Curran in 1986-87. So in 1986-87, Brian Curran in 68 games, like I said, 356 penalty minutes. That's one player, 356 penalty minutes. The Islanders this year, and keep in mind, the Islanders have Ross Johnston, arguably, it's not, no, he is one of the toughest guys in the league. Maybe you can make a case he's the toughest. Right now, I'd say, you know, Reeves is probably number one. Uh, Johnston tried to fight him at the Coliseum. He didn't want to fight him at the Coliseum. Then they did meet up in Vegas. Very good fight. It's only a matter of time before Johnston is wearing the belt as the heavyweight champ of the league. But this is a team that has Ross Johnston, has Matt Martin, and Scotty Mayfield's not afraid to mix it up either. So in today's NHL, by today's NHL standards, the Islanders are basically the Broad Street Bullies. They have three guys not afraid to mix it up. So keep that in mind. 68 games played, the Islanders have three players not afraid to mix it up. But in total, the total number of penalty minutes for the Islanders this season in 68 games, 559. So as a team in 68 games this year, the Islanders had 203 more penalty minutes than a single Brian Curran in 86-87 with his 356. So if there's a stat that uh, better illustrates how the game has changed, uh, I'd like to see it because I'm giving you Colonel's numbers from one season compared to the Islanders' numbers from this past season. 356 penalty minutes compared to 559. What the hell is happening here? But, uh, but anyway, I hope that you sit back, relax, and enjoy my chat with the Colonel, Brian Kern. Have a great week, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box. This is your host, Joe Lazito. And tonight, I have a very, very special guest. I have a guest who holds an Islanders record that will never, ever be broken. And the way the NHL is going nowadays, probably within five years, the team itself won't combine to break the record that this man has. The man I'm speaking of is Brian Kern. He holds the Islanders' single-season penalty minute record with 356 penalty minutes. So now you know why the record will never be broken. And it's my pleasure to bring Brian Kern to you this evening. Brian, how's it going? Not too bad, Joe, and thanks for having me on, by the way. Oh, uh, it, this is a big pleasure for me, and uh, and thank you for making time. You, uh, everybody listening, you won't understand exactly the uh, the struggle it was for Brian and I to connect tonight uh, based on uh, connectivity issues and Wi-Fi and all that stuff. So uh, uh, it's a real pleasure. But uh, but Brian, I, I start with the uh, – usually I have the first question for everybody, but I'm going to make it the second question for you this evening. Um, you were born in Toronto, but you were raised in Alberta. Uh, how early did you move to Alberta? <laughs> well, that was about, I believe, six months after I was born. Okay. Uh, yeah, my father had a job with the uh, Canadian packing plant. He was a, a cattle buyer. So he got a position in Lethbridge, and we moved out west. And uh, so I, I, I was there for six months, but I get to have a lot of fun with uh, my friends from back in Toronto and Ontario. Uh, there's always that Western Canada versus Eastern Canada in, in good in good humor. Yeah. So you consider yourself a Western boy, obviously. 
Yeah, I mean, you you spend most of your life here, uh, absolutely. Uh, I had a phenomenal time back in Toronto when I played there. Yeah. Uh, however, but uh, yeah, I, I'm a Westerner right now. That's for, that's for sure. So my usual first question for everybody is, if I had a time machine and I went back in time and I saw a young Brian Curran on the pond as a kid, uh, who were you? And by that I mean, if you came to Queens, New York or Long Island when I was younger and uh, you saw me play street hockey, I was always Clark Gillies or Bob Nystrom. Uh, who was Brian Curran's favorite player back then? Well, if you watched me skate, I would have said uh, not a player. Uh, Bambi would have been the way I skated when I was that age. Um, yeah, I had a uh, um, the start to my career, uh, a career as a, as a young person uh, that uh, included a lot of growing in one particular summer. But you know what? When, when I look back at it, I think um, the way I played the game uh, the way I was as a young kid, um, I always I, I always liked like Larry Robinson uh, would be you know somebody that I really liked watching. Um, Terry O'Reilly was always a favorite of mine when I was growing up watching him play. So I kind of had a mix of them uh, of the players. Uh, Brad Park, who I who I got to play with for a few games when I got called up out of Major Junior. Uh, Guy Lapointe, they were awesome guys. Yeah. So, but I would say the first two, Larry and Terry. Gotcha. Not too bad. Those are some pretty good role models there. Yeah, they they, they really are because they're not just good. Uh, you know, they played completely different games. But um, when you look at the the heart and character of a of a person, uh, there's no question of those two people. There's yeah. there's zero. The the you know. Um, very well-rounded uh, human beings, uh, you know, funny, um, knew what, you know, when the bell rang for game time, uh, they were always prepared in every way that you, you could imagine. So it was it was a pleasure to, to play with Terry, and uh, I got to play against Larry, but I also got to meet Larry, and Larry had a, an impact uh, basically in one day when he was in New Jersey coaching that changed my life a little bit as a defenseman too. He, he helped me out and uh, he didn't have to. So uh, he's, he's a wonderful person. That's great. That's great to hear. Now we fast forward a little bit. Uh, the season before you played in Portland, you played for a pretty historic team. Now I haven't interviewed anyone yet that had played for Notre Dame, the Notre Dame Hounds. <laughs> Obviously down here in the States, Notre Dame is something different, uh, but Notre yeah. Dame is, is a pretty relevant team up in Canada. Um, is that one of the more historic franchises that's not, uh, say, Major Junior? Uh, well, first of all, yeah, you know, it was midget hockey that we played. We didn't, that wasn't Major Junior. But right. Notre Dame, historically, in the Wilcox, Saskatchewan, it was one of the most remarkable places. Uh, the year that I played there, um, we had players, uh, we, we won everything that year. But we had players like Gord Kluzak, who played there, and James Patrick, Played there, and Gary Lehman played there. Uh, uh, um, Todd Struby played there. Um, Dale Durkatch played there. Gord Sherber. We had so many players that went on to uh, whether it was NHL or we had a couple that uh, you know played for the World Junior Team and won gold. Uh, we had some a very dynamic team, but it's probably the school that changed my life forever is uh, I, I was in kind of a, a rut in my life where I wanted to fit in with everybody. And it was certainly not my personality, but I was heading in that direction. And the opportunity to go to Notre Dame and, and my, with my fam, my parents, 
played a huge, a huge part in my life, in, in my just not the everyday life, but the game itself. Uh, I went to Notre Dame and I, and I became a uh, no longer a follower but a leader. Um, so I will always uh, praise that school and the teachers that were that were in it. Uh, Dennis Almer, who I run into all the time, he was my teacher. Uh, he's a scout now for Major Junior out here for Swift Current, and he's a, uh, just a spectacular place. No, I shouldn't say it's spectacular because it's out in the middle of the prairies and you could see a dog run for 40 miles. So it's pretty barren. Yeah. Uh, Once you were done with Notre Dame, you graduated up to uh, Portland Winter Hawks. Um, Yes. Now, I have quite a bit of video on you, but I don't have much video from Portland. So uh, I know you played with some some guys that are familiar, some NHL names like a Gary Nyland who went on to play with the Islanders. Uh, Clip Malarchuk, uh, uh, you know, famous goalie. But you also played with some guys who were pretty tough that maybe didn't advance to the NHL. One of those guys is Randy Turnbull, who put up some pretty amazing penalty minute numbers. But for that first season in Portland, uh, what was that transition like going from Notre Dame to the Western League in Portland? Oh, well, I was probably the biggest screw-up in my first year when I was 16, 16 turning 17 that year. Uh that was a, a country kid going to a you know, significantly big city, uh, with much faster pace. Uh, you know, <laughs> you could get caught up in that world. And let's put it this way. It was an incredible learning experience because I was a complete screw up. Um, and, uh, you know, if it wasn't for the help of, of some, some very key people. But uh, we that first year was a team that uh, I got my first taste of what you hear about Major Junior back in the earlier days. And then you're sitting there really as, you know, when you hear of the lifestyle and the way everybody is. And um, it was not something I was prepared for. And uh, I, I fell into the trap uh, of following not, not a great uh, lifestyle my first year when I was there. So it was a learning year. I believe I was called by my coach that year, the biggest disaster in Portland Winter Hawk history, I believe. Oh, wow. Uh, Oh yeah, no, well, deservingly so. I, you know, it, it's like nothing criminal, so don't anyone go down that <laughs> road. Just a kid being a stupid kid, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I did a 180 for the following years, where I, I just changed my life around completely. The last uh, two years. Well, those last two years were, were pretty big years for the team, also. Um, going to that second year, uh, s- similar cast of characters there. You know, Gary Nyland, Hubbard, Turnbull. Uh, Jim Playfair joined there, so you had a pretty rough squad there. Your penalty minutes jumped up to 275, but you also chipped in 30 points in uh, 59 games. Now, again, I don't have any of your uh, guys that you may have fought there, but just some of the guys that were in the division with you. I don't know if uh, if anything happened with you guys, like a Mitch Wilson, uh, Kenny Danico, uh, former Islander Alan Kerr, uh, and I think Danico split that year between Seattle and Spokane. Uh, also a guy like Richard Zemlack, but the whole league was pretty tough. So I don't know, uh, even Dave Brown, I mean, they had the Bruce brothers in Saskatoon, Dave Brown, Daryl Stanley. So I don't know if any, if any of those names kind of stir up any, uh, any memories for you. Well, you know what, uh, like Dave Brown and I, uh, even though we were completely different divisions, we had a pretty good, um, we had some incredible battles. I would say all of those guys, exception of maybe one, I probably fought. Mm-hmm. Um, th- but uh, 
Brownie was by far, he was tall, long, lanky, huge arms. Um, we had an epic fight, I believe it was in Saskatoon, where um, I was going to the bench and he, and he got me and I was tired and I basically got my ass kicked. And, uh, so we went to the penalty box and we both agreed not to bring our gloves or sticks out when we stepped on the ice and, and, and it was without a question it was the longest fight I've ever been in and and comically enough about it through our whole career from that point on Brownie and I fought but we had an amazing amount of respect for each other yeah. uh, Dave Dave never you know I, after that first uh, the first time we really went at it we actually got along really really well yeah. um, we knew what our roles were we knew what our jobs were it was very defined and there was many a times we sat at the red line stretching and you know he'd look to me and he'd say colonel which was my obviously is my nickname yeah. uh, he said colonel uh, first shift i'm tired tonight or i would say the same thing to him and next thing we would do what we do and mm. you know everybody would get excited and uh off to the races we'd go but uh, there were occasions where brownie and i'd even go out for a drink after one of us uh basically kicked the other one's ass uh, we didn't laugh about it because it was just part of who we were and what we had to do back then and it's not a, a glorified job by any means but back then it was something that's uh, in your dna that you're okay with um kenny danico i remember kenny kenny was not a real big heavyweight but he was uh, willing to, to drop his gloves with with anybody kenny um, and, and you know, and Kenny went on to a great career, uh, and uh, and played against Kenny. So uh, we had our battles back in junior, but not so much when we, when we both ended up in pro. Kenny was a completely different player uh, than when he went to pro, and even in junior. But he still had a, a lot of courage. Mitch Wilson, all these guys had yeah. a lot of, you know, they, they were they were tough. I think I'm not sure Bob Fleming was playing in there. They called him the Hammer. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bobby was is as tough as they get too, and yeah. uh, super like what a great guy. It's funny that I, I see you know it's, uh, Bob. It was I got invited to a get together of his. I wasn't able to go, but you know it's funny we reach out to each other to, to go to an event, and I hope to catch up with him one day because he's uh, we went to Buffalo together, and he's yeah. he's just a great guy. Yeah, I was going to bring him up later in the Rochester portion, but since yeah. you since you brought it up. Uh, who gave you the nickname Colonel? That was Craig McTavish. So, uh, you know, it, it's so funny how people, you know, they, when they ask that question, I don't think they, think they were looking for a better story than what had happened. So what had happened and how the story came was it was my very first year. And on the ice, I, I according to Craig, to, to Mac, he said I issued orders to everybody where to go, pick up this guy, get this guy, I got this guy, and I did. I did it all the time. But I was a rookie, so I couldn't be a general, so <laughs> Mac D called me a colonel. Uh, I like that then, story. So then the name uh, just never, uh, it just caught on, caught on, and caught on, and uh, I very rarely ever heard my first name ever again, quite frankly, uh, probably 10 years into my career, I never answered to my real name. Huh. So, you know, I would, I just, because I was just, I was Colonel, that was it. Now, so everybody had some play on it a little bit. I think that's a great story. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> now I also read somewhere, I don't know if this is true, that you did have a nickname before Colonel. It, it, did people call you Biff? Uh, I don't know. You know what? It's funny. I heard that yeah. somewhere, but I never had that name. Okay. Um, you, you know, the funniest part about this game is there's always some, 
some guys, you know, I can look back at, uh, at my career and I look at, I know exactly what I was, uh, you know, when somebody, I know Kelly Rudy has fun with a couple other guys that said, you know, talk about, uh, like I was go-go gadget on my skates, right? Cause my feet moved so fast on my arms and stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, you know what, it, it was what it was. And, and, you know, I look back at it and I go, God, you know, if I had been a better skater, I could have probably done much better in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was, I, this, I, you know, I look back and when, when I hear some of the certain names, I, you know, that's just guys that I really don't know that well. Right. And so what, to, to, to me, I've, I've been called a lot of names, especially <laughs> at Madison Square Gardens. Yeah. Um, you, you know what? It's just kind of like water off a duck's back. Mm-hmm. You, you hear so much, but you just really don't, you know, you, you really don't care. But no, I, I didn't have that one. I, I, okay. don't know. I, I did hear it, though. Yeah, well, listen, as far as nicknames go, I mean, they don't get much better than Colonel, and I'm not pumping your tires there. That's a pretty good nickname to have, so uh, so <laughs> it's good that that one followed you around more than the other one. Uh, one guy I want to ask you about, and uh, he'll come up later, but uh, did you have any run-ins? And probably not because it would, I mean, the size discrepancy is, is insane, but you actually played a couple of seasons in the Western League against Barry Trotz. Oh, Trotzy. <laughs> No, no, no. Trotsy was ahead of me in age, okay. but I've watched, I watched. I watched Trotsy when he when he was a player, and, and uh, Trotsy was a, a really. He was an offensive defenseman. Yeah. Um, and he moved really well. When I go back and look at, uh, I remember going to Regina to watch. I think it was a Memorial Cup that was going on, but maybe not. Yeah. It might have been just a regular game, but anyway, I saw Trotsy play. And, so it was always neat when, you know, later on to play with Trotz, play for Trotsky in Portland, um, that I remembered he was a pretty, uh, he, he didn't back, back down or shy from anybody, Trotsky. He was yeah. a very intense person, um, and he played hard. So, you know, when you get a guy who coaches you and you kind of know what he was like when he was younger, yeah, uh, and then you're kind of like, all right, well, this guy knows what he's doing. And, yeah. and obviously he's had a hell of a career in coaching. He, uh, I think everybody here on the island generally – uh, you know, we've had some pretty good coaches here, but I think if you ask people to a man, uh, Barry pretty much, I think at worst, people put him maybe third as, as far as Islander coaches ever, and I would say most people probably have him second. He's, he's made that much of an impact here, uh, him and Lula Morello just coming in and totally changed the identity of the team, and uh, I mean, just beloved. I mean, he really, he really is an, I mean, I, I've been following him. Since Portland, when you were there with Killer and Sharky and everything, I, I've been I've been a fan of since then. Uh, mm. But now having him here on the island, I mean, it's just he basically walks on water here. Well, I you know when I look back and I, you know I had to uh, you know I was coached by Trotsy with Portland Pirates in the American Hockey League when we won a championship. Trotsy and Paul Gardner was there too, mm-hmm. uh, and it was an amazing uh, a tandem. Uh, because Trotsy was pretty intense back then, and Gardsy was kind of the guy that would keep us, uh, you know, keeping us easy, joke around, and have fun, and kind of needed back then. I mean, we used to laugh. Uh, Trotsy used to drink his uh, his coffee back then, and, and he'd have several cups, and uh, you know, we were like, "Uh oh," kind of thing. He's he's, he's going now. <laughs> but he but he was so meticulous, and he was so. We, he had us so prepared for everything, and uh, he, 
the, you know, the team that was put together from the, the Capitals organization at that time was just an unbelievable group of guys that really bonded incredibly well. But even with the coaching staff, we were always pushed. Uh, you know, Trotsy did one thing. I was never afraid of being pushed to the limit or anything. And um, he had that way that that he could do it. We were always in great shape. And, you know, then I've watched as he's gone on in his career. And uh, I think I think the Islanders are, are, are uh, having such a good – I think they have a great coach, not a good coach, a great coach. Because, quite frankly, when you look at what Trotsy did with the Washington Capitals, as a person with my own opinion – I didn't think there was going to be a day where I saw an Alex Ovechkin uh, learn to play defense a little bit. Um, And the year they won the Stanley Cup, that is your coaching staff and your surrounding cast that that really made a huge impact with that organization. And when they won the Stanley Cup, uh, quite frankly, I think he did a phenomenal job uh, with that club. And I think Islanders are going to see that too. Uh, as as the years go on, but I go back to his Nashville days, and I think, you know, the, there's uh, David Poyle and, and Barry been together forever. David's done a phenomenal job, um, but they were a, a team that didn't have a lot of money back in the day. I shouldn't say they didn't have a lot of money. Uh, they didn't, they couldn't compete with the Red Wings back in that day. Although they battled them right to the end every year, they seemed to have played them three out of four years in the playoffs. And, you know, stacked team, but I thought Trotsky did some of his best work there too. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm happy for Barry. He's always given me the time, uh, even with a guy that is, has done as well as he has. And he's a very sincere and good person. So I, I wish him and his family all the best. And I think the Islanders, you know, I think they're going to end up winning the Stanley Cup with Trotsky there too. No, I agree. And I hope you're right. Um, so going back to your second year in Portland. So you mentioned your first year, from your first year to your second year, it was. Uh, quite the the change for you and now that second year Portland finds themselves uh in the tournament for the Memorial Cup so uh what was that uh, and you, unfortunately this this season you didn't win it but what was that experience like uh being in that tournament because uh I think for a lot of people down here uh that don't that don't follow it uh it's a pretty big deal the Memorial Cup and obviously now with uh the way the media has grown and everything it's obviously much bigger now but even back then it was a pretty big deal well, it, it, it is because, you know, like, unless you're an exceptional player, exceptional young player, most players' careers in the Western Hockey League are three years, four maybe, uh, and then there's the odd one that's played five seasons. So what my point to this is, is you basically have three, four years to win this championship, and it's done. Um, like any other championship, I've been very fortunate throughout my whole minor hockey career and all the way up to be part of championship teams. Um, winning, winning this that season, um, there was definitely misfits in, in, on our team, and 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 I say that in a in a positive way. Yeah. Uh, drove me friggin' nuts sometimes, <laughs> but you know what? We, we did. We weren't robotic. We weren't. Everyone was the same, and you know, it wasn't like you know, uh, like. I don't know, Mr. Robinson or Mr. Whatever that uh, Mr. Rogers. that show, Mr. Rogers. Yeah. It wasn't like everyone was nice. We definitely had characters on that team, yeah. and I think uh, who I've always said is my uh, probably my all-time favorite coach was Ken Hodge, mm. who coached the Winterhawks back then. And yeah, Hodge understood me and understood the rest of his players. But we we had a team that uh, unfortunately 
um, there was, uh, as there is in the game of hockey, there's a lot of egos. Um, that year, that team could have been a Memorial Cup championship team, but wasn't going to become one because right at the Memorial Cup, some of us were just not getting along. And you could tell when we go to our, you know, each team gets a skate and some of us are fighting out on the ice verbally and, and Haji puts us on the wall for 35 minutes and bag skates us. Oh, well, it, it, it's just, you know, you're, you're around these players day after day after day and uh, you know when you have egos and uh, that, you know, that people are going to, you know, you got to keep it in check. Yeah. But unfortunately, we are human, you know, not unfortunately, we are yeah. human beings and, and, and things are going to happen. Um, but the experience of playing with all of those players, I wouldn't change anything. We won, you know, we, we won, you know, the West. And when you win a championship, we didn't win the whole thing. But when you win a championship in Western Hockey League, you've paid a big price as you've done in any at any level uh when, when you win in the western hockey league that is a back in those days that was grueling when i look at what the players played through uh the injuries um the things that we did to play in games back then it, it was you know i know myself i was taking uh, some cortisone shots back in the day then and um you know, just because we wanted to win. So when I look at it, it gave us a lot more for obviously the next year when, when we were successful. But um, I will never forget the, the, the guys on that team and, and what we went through and the price we paid. And um, you know what, we're all growing up now. A couple of us still talk, uh, but uh, you know, we all move on in our lives. But uh, yeah, the, it, was a, it was a great experience. So um, after the, the tournament's over, you guys uh, unfortunately don't win. But now uh, you end up being drafted in the second round by the Bruins. So my question is, and obviously, like everything else, with today everything is so, you know, the coverage of everything is so much more than it used to be. But I would imagine being uh, someone, if you were picked in the second round, you, you could have been picked in the first round, you know, if, depending on what team had what needs. Um, were there a lot of teams that were interested in you? Had you spoken to a lot of teams? Um, I hadn't, but I did get a call from our owner, Brian Shaw, back in the day, and I, and, and I met with the general manager at St. Louis Blues uh, before the draft. And um, I was uh, told by him that they, they were looking at making a trade with another NHL team, and, if, and he wanted to meet me and see what I was as a person. Uh, it's so much more different with the combine and everything now, right? Yeah. And everybody can talk to everyone but back then he had flown uh over to portland from st louis i believe it was and i got my first time to meet mr uh, emil francis um in 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 portland and he was telling me that if they didn't make this trade that they were going to take me which would have been 11th overall nice um and then the trade came for rob ramage so they made the trade st louis got rob ramage so you know it didn't work out that way but um, you know, my only regret about the draft is I didn't go to the draft, um, and uh, and I didn't get that experience. Uh, quite frankly, when I got called by by Mr. Sinden, uh, I was at my parents' place in uh, Veteran, Alberta, and uh, out the farm, and uh, I was asleep when he called at eight o'clock. I can tell you, my parents didn't sleep all night. Um, but then I, I'm I'm like half just in a in a daze when he calls me and and then you then you kind of process it about two or three minutes later and it's like whoa like holy cow i've been drafted by the boston bruins and 
uh, the rest of the day, probably starting at 10 o'clock at the Veteran Hotel Bar till about 1 or 2 in the morning. I don't remember much as an 18-year-old other than I I did, uh, uh, I had a designated driver that drove me out to the house and I wasn't in any shape, but I, I do remember the RCMP officer. I, I don't think he wanted to see me after I kind of, uh, well, let's put it this way, I, I ended up throwing up, so yeah. it wasn't good. <laughs> hey, but it, that, that, that's, that's the draft day story. Yeah. Uh, it was an honor to be drive by the, drafted by the Bruins and it was such an incredible honor my first year when I got to be around the Brad Parks and Wayne Cashman's and Terry O'Reilly's and Sean Feld was there uh, and uh, John Mattel was coaching and Gary Doak was a coach and uh, it was just uh, it was amazing to see these guys that I watched when I was a kid yeah that, that was going to be my next question so when you go to training camp that year when you walk in and you, you see those names not not so much intimidated physically but just if if like you said you watched hockey and now you're sharing a locker room with these guys that just had to that had to be an unbelievable feeling well i was basically soiling myself before i freaking <laughs> got to the rink when i met these guys i, mean, I apologize to everyone i do, i don't have a, a filter but um there's no filters the on the day, show I sh- well i showed up when, when i showed up at the, you know and uh the airport was quite a scene because i i could barely even you know, I, I got sick at the airport too. I was so nervous. Um, and then I show up, and and here I am on this, uh, you know, six foot five, hundred ninety two or hundred ninety three, skinny, lanky guy. And I remember seeing Gord Kluzak because he was number one overall that year. And uh, basically, Gordy was twice the size of me. And then I, I, I look at the, we're at Danvers at the practice facility, the cameras are going, everybody's talking to everybody. And, and then it was I, like, I was still so nervous because it was like, I, I got to see all these veterans. And, and back when I got drafted in 83, uh, I remember uh, Gordy and myself and Lyndon Byers got asked up by the vets on a practice day. We practiced in the morning, played in the afternoon at camp. And they were having lunch, and it was just awesome. And it was like, okay, kid, have a beer. I was like, are you kidding me? Have a beer? We got training camp in the afternoon. Uh, and I'm like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to have a beer. But when they said the second one, I was like, not a chance in hell. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, just, you know what, when you see them, when you see people you've watched on TV and then you get to meet them, um, you know, that's a whole different ball game because there, there's not anything uh, that I could say bad about any one of them. I remember Stan Jonathan was at that camp too. And uh, I remember looking at him and I remember he had that a fight against Lupian in Montreal. And I'm like, oh my God, like when you look at him and you look at Lupian, it's like the Sloopian, it's the same size, right? I'm yeah. six foot five, Sloopian might be six, right? Yeah, yeah. And Jonathan, and Jonathan has a great fight against him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, he, you know, meeting those guys and, 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 and being around him, Mike O'Connell was there, Mike Melbury was there. Was, I watched these guys. I, 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 you know, I was a Boston, Toronto fan yeah. back in the day, so I watched, depending on who was doing the best, I, well, I like watching both of them, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, it was just until I got on the ice and I competed against guys. Uh, the rookies skated with the rookies, and then you go up to the vets kind of thing. But, uh, you know, 
I, I remember we played Philadelphia Flyers rookie team, and I, and I broke my ankle in that game. And uh, I was in the hospital, and I remember the the vets came in uh, to the hospital, and they all said, uh, "Too bad, kid," and blah 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 blah. It was, you know, here I am, I you know, an 18 year old kid, I'm crying, and like because I loved it so much, and I and all of a sudden I was planning on being there for a couple of weeks, and I know they were happy with me. Yeah. Uh, but then the you know four five days into it or whatever it was, I broke my ankle. And, that so uh but I, I did get to go out with a we i think we had a line brawl when i finally got was out of the game so i got to participate in that so nice. i know people will think it's kind of funny that that was fun but you know when you have a, a leg that's the way it was or sorry yeah with uh, whatever in my ankle yeah. they didn't know at the time i actually went back out for a couple of shifts and i made sure it counted at the end and uh yeah, it was fun. The first year and being around those guys was awesome. Well, I think, uh, you know, first of all, like I said, this show doesn't have any filters. You can say whatever you want. And uh, as far as the audience, uh, most of my audience appreciates the uh, the old-time hockey. So, uh, you know, people, we don't, uh, I don't know how many people that listen are like New Age fans, but we're kind of like old school, uh, old school fans here. So, uh, so we all appreciate these stories so far. So, uh, so we, when you go back to Portland now, um, the team has two new players on it that are very well known to a lot of fans, uh, NHL fans. One of them is John Cordick, and one of them is Cam Neely. So, um, and they, I believe that they were. This was their rookie years in the Western League, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, although John may have been with Seattle uh, before this, but I'm not sure. But uh, what kind of impact did those two guys have on the team? Well, I'd add one more in there because Ray Ferrero was with us too. Oh yeah, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and Ray Ferrero was a huge, I mean, we were a stacked team, but um, I skated with Cam when in the summertime in Portland when he was 16, and I was like, I remember we was out with Blake Wesley and some older guys, and, and Cam came out, and um, I got to I gotta tell you, he, he had a, a huge edge to him, um, and I loved that. Um, and he played with Cam, uh, Cam. Who did he play with? Cam played with Kenny and Randy. Kenny Remchuk and Cam, Randy Heath. And if you look at the stats of those three guys that year, you could tell they gelled together. I think it was 117, 123, 154, or something like that. Point wise, Cam was his first year, right? Yeah. Um, so you know, he, he, he was uh, as like he. I'll tell you what. I think Cam could score goals, but he was tough as hell. Yeah. If you underestimated Cam, you were in trouble um, because he had zero fear, zero fear when he played back then. And he had a temper, too, um, which, you know, I say that because, uh, you know, I had a temper, too. But uh, I was, for a kid, for a guy that could score, it was uh, rare to see a guy that would have a temper. And uh, I don't know, as life went on with Cam, and I'm sure they were taught him that he, that he had to control it a little bit. They wanted him on the ice, not in the penalty box. Um, but John Cordick, uh, John was my partner. And uh, we knew the family really well through the years. And um, Johnny was probably, oh, when I think of Johnny, he was a huge, like he had a huge impact. He had a fear. He, people feared John yeah. on the ice. Uh, John, uh, like to, for when, when Ken Hodge put John and I together, it was kind of like, whoa, like, I, I didn't, you know, I, I was the vet. He was the rookie, I believe, that year. So, yeah. um, but John was—I uh, never worried when I was on the ice with John, or no other player ever worried about as it was with when, you know, for me also. Yeah. Uh, but he had—he 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 had, he had, he had abilities, and he yeah. could, 
he could play the game. Um, but he also had this, you know, little screw loose, uh, as, as they say about me too, <laughs> yeah. that you have to, to do what we do. And, yeah. um, I think that first year for John, um, was a year that, um, you couldn't ask for anything better for our whole hockey team. Right. And obviously we won the Memorial cup this year, yeah. which was a big deal. Um, but I think it was, uh, a lot came real fast. Yeah. And that was when you have that kind of success and you're a first year player, um, you know, I, I think uh, that hurt John in some ways mm-hmm. and it helped him in other ways, but it hurt him also. And, uh, but you know what, when you bring two players and then Ray Ferrero into that mix too, um, you have, uh, we had some scary lines. Mm-hmm. We had toughness all over the place. Um, we feared no one, yeah. no one. And our, and our star players feared no one. Um, and we played in a league that fear was part of of the game back then. Yeah. Um, so when I look at overall, when I look at John and myself, and Jimmy was playing there, Kelly Hubbard, my best friend, um, Cam Neely, guys like that, like you were going to mess with us, you were it was going to be, you know, it wasn't going to be pretty. Yeah. Uh, and there was a couple teams that could that could do it with us, but overall, I, I believe we were probably you know the toughest team in the league. Now, obviously, you guys had a had a fantastic year. You go into the playoffs now, and uh, am I correct that you were the uh, Winterhawks playoff MVP before the Memorial yeah. Cup? Yeah. So that's that's saying something because you were on a pretty good team and you were the team MVP. So you must have had a phenomenal uh, playoff. Well, I had a really good playoffs, uh, but, but you know, I was never Joe. To be honest with you, I was never good with athletes. Mm-hmm. I really wasn't. Uh, you know, I, I loved. Uh, you know. I look at it. I took the philosophy philosophy of of the, of the years I played, and I tried to bring it in as a coach when mm-hmm. I coached. Yeah. And if I could say one thing, we became we totally uh, became brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were very accountable to each other. Uh, Haji was was uh, was the master, but at the end of the day, we were such the uh, you know we had great character. We had Richard Crom was there and Grant Sasser. And, uh, it goes on and on. We just had character all over the place, and we held everybody in check and accountable to each other. Yeah. And yeah, there was some pissing and moaning going on, but at the end of the day, you you get that. Um, and that year itself was one of those years that um, time seemed to be just fly. Mm. Uh, I remember when we went to the Memorial Cup that year, uh, and we the finals, and we were staying at I think it was the Red Lion in Portland. We moved out of our houses into gorgeous hotel back then we thought that they were huge well none of us really slept that night yeah um and i was with my best friend kelly hubbard and we got these king-sized joining rooms and we're like basically you asleep oh you asleep and we knew the rest <laughs> of it was going the same way with everybody else yeah. um so when we, and then we got to the finals like in the playoffs uh, i i think there was a lot of mvps mm-hmm. um but I, I ended up playing, uh, and Johnny, uh, I, I ended up playing quite a bit in the playoffs. I would, I would move around with different partners at the time, mm-hmm. and Ken had me out against, you know, top lines and stuff like that. Um, so, I, you know, and even in the Memorial Cup I, against, I think it was Oshawa, Joe Sorella, uh, Joe was averaging 44 minutes in, in the Memorial Cup a game. Wow. And Haji came up to me in the finals and said, every shift he's out, you're going out. Oh. Well, I was probably about 28, 29. I don't know how Joe did it, man. Yeah. 
But I thank God we got way up on him because by the time the third period came, I was probably about three, four shifts away from going, uh, I need a break. (laughs) That was phenomenal. Um, And then, of course, you win it, and and it was the most incredible. Um, Winning that Memorial Cup was, like I said, you got three three years on average to, to win that cup. And it, I think it's a very difficult cup to win. It really is. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, and if you and if you win it, I remember we owned we Portland embraced us as their kids. Yeah. And we had a parade in Portland with literally you know over a hundred thousand people at the parade, and um, you know yeah, I'll never I'll never forget that. My ring sits. You know, it used to fit on my ring finger, now it fits only on my baby finger over time, but. <laughs> Uh, it, it's not the ring as much as it's the memories of uh, yeah. some really great people and, and, and to see where they all went from that point on, too. So you mentioned him a few times, your best friend, Kelly Hubbard, and obviously uh, you played junior a long time ago, as did he. Uh, I think that's a good example of the, uh, the brotherhood that you mentioned that, you know, you played with hundreds of guys uh, after you played in Portland, yet your closest friend is still a guy that you played with in junior hockey. Uh, and I think that really speaks to the brotherhood that you talked about. Well, and Kelly and I went through a lot together as, as we played together. Like we, we went through the ups and downs of the game. And I, I never, you know, we we don't talk to each other that much anymore. Mm-hmm. But uh, I know he's doing very, he's very successful in Portland. He used to be in Hawaii, and now he came back to Portland and is running some clinic, mm-hmm. owns a clinic or something, chiropractor clinic. So I'm happy for Kelly. Um, Kelly, when, when I look at friends, Joe, I look at friends that are uh, that uh, are there for you at the at, at the biggest at the biggest times, the, the best times, the worst times. Yeah. Uh, we were definitely there. He was my best man at at my you know at my wedding. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was at his wedding. His his uh, brother-in-law was best man there. But right. you know, we we went through a lot of stuff together, and we supported each other, and we helped each other, like. There's times that Kelly had to give me a kick in the ass uh, at, at times, and there was times I had to do it to him. So when I think of Kelly, I think of just uh, like a, a fantastic person uh, that I, you know, that I had a relationship. Uh, and everybody in Portland knew that Kelly and I were like we were very tight for all the years that, that we were there. So, you know, he's, you know, and I, you know, I don't think that we, either one of us would have made it without each other there. Yeah. Like you know, you have to keep each other in check. Yeah, you had to, to keep each other because Portland, they embraced us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Portland, Oregon, Port, the fans. We were the Trailblazers were there. They weren't doing really well, uh, but the hockey team was. We were playing in front of anywhere from eight to ten, eleven, twelve thousand people a, a night. Wow. Uh, we would do events in the city, and you'd see a thousand, fifteen hundred people there. I mean, we were hell. We. We even had, uh, for a charity, we got our hair cut and they sold our lockets. Is that right? Oh, crap. It was unbelievable. (laughs) I was laughing my ass off. I was like, really? You know, like, hell, most of my life I looked like Howdy Doody until I got to pro. Finally, something changed. (laughs) Oh, man, that's amazing. So, speaking of getting to pro, the following season, you split the season between Hershey and Boston. You ended up playing 16 games with the Bruins. Uh, and I and I looked to see who you played against, and it was always always uh, ironic how you ended up playing against Montreal and Philadelphia and all those other teams back then. But uh, first, I'd like to ask you, how'd you like playing for Jerry Cheevers? 
Um, you know what, Jerry? Um, when it, when it came to Jerry, um, I, I don't. You know what? It was different than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you look at it back then. The players, I truly believed, knew what they had to do. Yeah. Uh, knew how they had to prepare. Knew how they had to play. Knew how they, and, and they were really control things. Um, Jerry was very charismatic. Uh, um, he was big into the into I think he was raising horses or running horses, whatever he was doing back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was it wasn't that it was a bad experience by any means. Right. It, it was just different than I would have thought. Yeah. Um, there there seemed to be uh, when I was with Portland, there was a, there was a, this incredible structure. Um, it, when you got to pro, it seemed like you know, and I'm not like the coaching's you know the systems and the video and all that's all the same kind of stuff. Uh, but you learn that uh, you're you're supposed to be a man now. <laughs> yeah. And you, you don't have to go home, you know, like in Portland when you were put uh, when you had to be home by nine or ten, right? Right. So I, I think my first year with Jerry was just kind of like I was really trying to adjust to what the hell the lifestyle was. Yeah. Um, I was unfortunate that year because I had a really good training camp, mm-hmm. and um, I talked to to Mr. Simmon and. Uh, and uh, Mr. Johnson, who was, I, I really like Mr. Johnson a lot. Yeah. And uh, they were sending me to Hershey, but they were going to bring me up, which is the most, the crate, they were actually bringing me up on November 5th, okay. which consequently was my birthday. Nice. And then on my birthday, I break my ankle. Oh, jeez. So I was coming up for the rest of the year. They had already told me to pack and everything like that. And, and uh, I was coming up for the rest of the year, and, and then all of a sudden that happened. So, um, you know, I went through a lot of, uh, you know, a lot, of, you know, I think I just had my 17th surgery in my life. Wow. Uh, well, I'm all healthy and everything now, but yeah. uh, I think I had at least four, 13 or 14 in playing hockey, yeah. and they all seemed to happen right off. I broke my legs four years in a row playing pro. Jeez two on my left, two on my right. So, yeah. you know, I, I had a run of bad luck there. And uh, But when it was all said, I got those games in. And, of course, it was always going to be against Philly yeah. and, <laughs> you know, Montreal and yeah. Chris Nyland and me mm-hmm. and Bob Probert in Detroit and on and on and on. And, you know, uh, I just sit there. And, and you know what I did? What my, uh, trying to think. Uh, it'll come to me in a minute when we played Philly. Um guys just come blank on me right now Paul Holmgren yeah Paul Holmgren was my first NHL fight um was that in I, camp because I thought your first NHL fight was uh whatchamacallit Chris Nyland that was in camp oh yeah. in camp yeah mm-hmm. okay yeah and, and and I'll always remember it because I was doing what I do and you and the reason I kind of loved it back then, you know, when guys say, well, the kids today that, you know, I, as I was talking, I work for an agency now, but uh, the kids go, how many sticks would you have break, break coach? And I said, probably about seven or eight shooting and about 150 over people. <laughs> I love it. So, you know, ankles, back, shoulders, you know, never head. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I was cross-checking Paul, did not knowing that it was Paul Holmgren. Right. And he just had enough. And then his gloves came off, and I was basically, again, just soiling myself. What the hell's going on here? Now, I did all right, and the fight got broken up, but Paul wasn't satisfied, so he told the linesman, 
said uh, let the rookie go. So I'm not, I'm holding on to the linesman, saying no, don't let the rookie go. Like just <laughs> hold on to me, basically, right? So the linesman said basically, sorry, kid, you're on your own. Yeah. So we went a second time, uh, and I fared I fared good. And then we skate to the box. I'll never forget it. Uh, Paul was. Uh, kind of was basically gave a nod kind of like great job rookie and, and, and I was like I never forgot that because you know he he's another guy I watched right and yeah. he's tough as hell mm-hmm. um, so I, I like the fact that you know uh, it was different because in junior when you fought in major junior you, you're basically trying to, to kill the guy you're with yeah. you know uh, you know, I, I, you know, I just think as I'm saying that I had a few people in my career ask is that like wrestling is it fake mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I'm going to tell you, why don't you step on the ice and go find out? Yeah, exactly. Because exactly. it's not fake. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a lot of, I will say for tough guys, 90%, there's an immense respect for each other with all the tough guys because it's a tough job. Oh, 100%, 100%. Um, yeah, I mean, you have to. I, I don't think, honestly, I don't, unless you're Superman, I think if you if you do that job, and you don't have respect for the other guys, I don't think you're going to last too long because that word gets around. And, you know, I, I think that's what some people don't understand about the job is that, you know, everybody, all the NHL players, all the hockey players are a fraternity, but the the enforcers, the tough players, and obviously new age fans won't understand this, but back then you guys were also a fraternity onto yourselves. And uh, there definitely had to be respect because honestly, I think if there was someone that ran around that wasn't respecting the job or respecting the opponents. Like I said, I don't know how long they would have lasted. No, and, you know, even a couple of guys that I know they never liked me and I didn't care for them, um, I would still say that we still respected each other. We just didn't care for each other. Yes. Um, and then that's that's what life is. It is what it is. You're not going to like everybody, and especially when you know one guy's trying to kick them crap out of you and the other one, you know, same thing, yeah. right, vice versa. Um, but, but you, you know, when you play the role that we played, um, you know, I had that illusion when I was young, you brought up way back that I had 30 points that year. Well, I think I had two goals and 28 assists. And, you know, back in that day, I, I, I thought I was going to be a 15 goal scorer in the national hockey league. And then I, then reality set in, yeah. uh, no God gave me, uh, the hands, uh, that I had uh, not for scoring. <laughs> um, and the temperament was what it was. And, you know, growing up having five sisters also. Wow. Um, you become a little protective. Yeah. So you know that was in me, but with the with all the guys, you know, you know, I talk, you know, all the guys I fought, like Joey Kosher. I, I would hate to get hit by Joey. Uh, you know, I fought Joey a few times, but he, he never. Thank God, he never connected. Uh, he did once. Yeah. Uh, went through my helmet and, and cut me open. Yeah. Um, but like, if you ever got hit by Joey, that's that's a woo. I mean, and his right hand is like mush. But at the end of the day, Joey probably had the hardest punch that I've ever known of. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, but like I had immense respect for Joey. Uh, you know, Wendell's cousin, Wendell Clark. I mean, yeah. uh, a pound for pound, Wendell Clark is in my my book. He's the toughest guy. Yeah. In pound for pound, Wendell Clark. Uh, I've seen him fight guys, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like he's super fast, and he's got the, and he gets off quick, and you know you you, you sit there, and when you got a guy that can score fifty goals and can drop his gloves like that, you're sitting there going, now I got even more respect for that guy. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, so 
Um, yep, and, and we did have our little fraternity that we knew when we stepped into the arena. We knew that that was going to happen. Uh, you know, give you make you make you laugh. One of mine was with Boston. It's a Ranger story, uh, but uh, Nick Vitillo. Yeah. And I got uh, here's this country kid coming from Portland. I fly into New York. I'm staying downtown, close by the Madison Square Garden. I am just in awe of the size of that city. Yeah. And basically, I skate out in the ice for a warm-up, and I see Fatio skating around, and he's got two hands on his stick, and he's basically, with his eyes, at least with his eyes, in my opinion, was like, I'm going to kill you, rookie. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God, well, here we go, kind of thing, right? And then yeah. some fan did something at Madison Square Gardens and warm-up to Nicky, and he climbed over the glass and chased him up the stairs, and he got kicked out of the game, and I was celebrating. <laughs> That's fantastic. Like, I mean, I was 19 years old, and, and, and this, this, you know, you know, this veteran. Uh, as 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 time went on, uh, I became Nick Fatio, and the young guy was coming up to take me. Yeah. So you, you learn that uh, there's there's a lot you learn in the National Hockey League, and you learn that you have to really learn to protect yourself and your and your family. Oh man, that was an unbelievable answer. That was phenomenal. Um, so let's talk about March 1st, 1984. That's your first NHL game uh, at the Boston Garden against L.A. Uh, your knees knocking during the National Anthem or what? No, they were knocking before the game even started. They were knocking <laughs> in the morning. Um, yeah, you, you, you sit there and you, you... When you finally are there and you finally are announced, it is the day that you know you've made it. Whether it would have been one game, or you know, and or and that would have been it. Um, as a kid, and I and I tell all the kids that I work with now, it is great to dream big. Yeah, it really is. Like I look at kids today, and it's a whole different ball game than our day. But you know, I, I don't care about uh, you know dream big. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I I didn't play like they played Bantam AAA. I played Bantam B, yeah. my first year, and. You know, you, you hear people say, you know, you're never going to make it, you're never going to make it, you're never going to make it. And, and these are the things that I've heard in my own personal life. And, and like I used to say to the kids, and I, because I lived it, well, who the hell are they to tell me what I can or cannot do? Yeah. That It's my mind, right? It's And that was my dad saying, telling me that, that, you know, don't be distracted. So now I go and play this first game, fast forwarding, and, and I'm sitting there and the anthem is playing and the crowd is crazy. It's just so surreal, and then you're like, uh, your hands are shaking. You're like, okay, Brian, get a hit right up the back. Get a hit, get a hit, get a hit. Because the minute I got a hit was the moment I let it all go. Yeah. And not that I played a lot, but, you know, I played, you know, somewhat of a regular shift, and I just sat there, and I was like, I'm here. Like, I'm actually here. Like, I get to stay. I, I You get free you can have many sticks as you want and gloves and skates and you eat and you get paid to play a game that you love and yeah. and, and, and it is like you're just in you're just in complete awe and, and you never forget like I, I don't forget my first goal I mean you'll never forget it and um, and and I, I, I so hope uh, that uh, some of the kids I know today I, I sure hope they get that dream one day well, I'm glad you didn't forget your first goal because that was actually my next question. Uh, March 29th, 1984 against the Hartford Whalers and Greg Millen. Uh, tell me about that first NHL goal. 
Well, do you want you want my exaggerated story or do you want the truth? Can I can I give you both? Absolutely. Well, the way I recollected in my own brain was as I started off on our zone, I passed it up to the winger, I jumped back up into the play, dished it off to one of the other forwards, he gave it back to me, and I went down into the corner, and I fought off a guy that came in front of the net, and I went top shelf. Okay, nice. so that would be the story that's absolutely BS. <laughs> okay, the real story was as I pinched down the wall, and I was playing, uh, and Marty Howe was standing in front of the net, and I just fired it at the net and hit Marty in the foot and went between his legs. And you know what? So that's didn't still amazing. Care. Oh, oh, I, I, I didn't care. They don't have pictures of how it goes. <laughs> uh, they do today. Yeah. Uh, but back in that day, there was very little. Uh, you know, nobody was going to get the Brian Kern for a goal. I've never seen it anyway. But uh, you know what? It, it still went in, and and again. I could say, uh, like I said, to so many young guys as I was playing and, and coaching and, and, and working with young kids today, uh, you get that chance, you get that opportunity. It's a hard, tough road, but you do make it. And if it's, like I said, the one game and you get the one game or your first goal, you just are going to be in a place that you dreamt of, and it is the most amazing place to be, especially when you work so hard. As, as any player who's played the game has worked extremely hard to get to where they are um, and gone through a lot of hoops to get there too, some of them. So, uh, you know, scoring the first goal uh, was awesome. I think I ended up with eight goals in the NHL. So, um, you know, I, 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 I don't remember them all. I used yeah. to remember them all, but really don't care about now. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I, I do remember in Toronto, uh, they were doing an article on uh, Al Iafredi and Al was a phenomenal player and, and yada 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 and they asked me if you know if it could have one thing the Sports Illustrated did it I think I was asking if it could have one thing of Al's I said well his legs like I would love to have his legs leave everything else alone on me I would have, I would have been an all-star in my mind right yeah, yeah. and uh, you know but then it, it somehow we got on to Gretz mm-hmm. and they were talking about how I think they had four or five goals at the time and and I basically said, listen, you ask Gretz if he can remember every one of his goals, because I can remember all five of mine. <laughs> well, so, you know, at the time. So, you know, you live the, you get to live your dream, and I will always, as a player, as a person, as the people that helped me get there, the people who stuck with me when I was an idiot, uh, back when I was younger, um, and never give up and inspires, you know, inspiration and stuff. Um, I will always be able to uh, at least say I lived. I lived my. I lived that dream. I lived my one dream, uh, and and that nobody can ever take away. And it doesn't matter what they say. And I got a, I got a few goals out of it, and I got a lot of penalty minutes out of it. And I don't look back saying would I have changed anything. Yeah. No, no, I wouldn't. That's awesome. Um, so tell me about the uh, Bruins and Canadians rivalry because that season. Like I said, you fought Chris Nyland twice. You fought Ryan Walter, uh, and then in the playoffs, you fought uh, famed bodybuilder Norman Barron. I don't know if uh, <laughs> I, was there like a big media thing around that they signed this bodybuilder to come in and fight. Uh, what was the story oh, it was that? all yeah, that was all brought in for because uh, there was no illusion that Chris Chris and I didn't care for each other. Yeah. Um, and I think Montreal would rather Chris stay on the ice than be fighting me, but we just didn't care for each other, point yeah. blank, right? Mm-hmm. 
And then uh, I think it was game one in our building that it was all built up in the newspaper. And I had Norman Libero was his name. And I looked at the pictures too, and I was like, geez, Murphy, this guy's big. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, you know, then as a fighter, you kind of figure out what you have to do. And I don't remember who the centerman was for him, but I know Nylon was out with Norman and, and he said, basically, watch out for his right. And right off the face-off, I remember because he was he was right-handed too. So for me, I was already had I was already a step ahead of him because I just had to turn my body a little bit. He had to turn his whole body around and, and get straightened out, um, and it didn't go well for him. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and, and 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 it was over and done fairly quickly. And and, and I don't have anything against Norm. Yeah. Nothing at all. Zero. I, I mean, he was brought in to, to do something, and if he would have kicked my ass, he, uh, things might have gone on for him. I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, but to be to be asked to do that, as, as I've been asked once or twice in my life, you don't feel good about yourself. Like You don't feel good that you have to be asked. You right. should kind of know your role, right? Yeah. Um, and I can't speak for Norman at all, but I have, a, you know, I have nothing against him, uh, you know, Zero. It's just, you know, when somebody gets brought in, my mental attitude is I'm basically going to kick the living crap out of you. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, how dare you come to my building, my place, my family, and you know what? It's going to be a war. Yeah. And and it was, and, and there, you know, sometimes the war didn't go well for me. I know I got my rear end kicked a few times too, but I've never been one to say I wasn't game for it. Oh, for sure. Uh, now, there's a question I have for you. Following season, you spent most of the season with the Bruins, but you played a handful of games in Hershey, and that year, I, I believe, you had a split affiliation with Boston and Philadelphia. So you were on the team with guys that you were probably going to fight at some point, either later that season or, or the following yeah. season. Was that weird being in a locker room with guys that – you know, it wasn't all Bruins guys. So you're you're sharing a room maybe with Glenn Cochran or Daryl Stanley or uh, Knock Bauer or Mike Stuthers. Um, and, of course, on your side, maybe Lyndon Byers was there. But is that kind of weird being in the same locker room with guys who you know you may battle next week if you're both Not, not at all. No. Not at all. They, you know what? They are a lot of fun guys. Yeah. They were they were a good group of guys. You know, you, it, 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 that never even came into play. Yeah. Um. You know, I remember Johnny Blum was there, too. Where was Johnny there? Might have been. It was there. Johnny Nackbar was there. Snacky yeah. was there. I mean, uh, Daryl Stanley, awesome guy. Stans was a good guy. Mm-hmm. Um, they had uh, Jay Johnson was also there, too. Um, and, you know, Lyndon was there also. But yeah. that never became any type of issue. Zero. Right. Zero. Um, uh, Mike Moffat was actually there, too. Brad Palmer, I believe, was there too. I have to remember that. But anyway, uh, they were a great bunch of guys, uh, and we had uh, that never, 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 ever became any issue. And yeah, did we run into each other? Mike Struthers and I ran into each other a few times, and then yeah. you know, Mike ended up in Toronto. I ended up in Toronto, um, and uh, Mike was a Mike is a really good person. Yeah, uh, yeah. I didn't have like, we, we, yeah, fighters knew what they had to do. Yeah. To, 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 to put it to bad kind of, yeah. you, you didn't look at them and, and, and for, for the most part, you knew, uh, like I use the example of Dave Brown and myself, yeah. like Dave and I had a relationship in that way that we knew what we were doing. Right. 
and Dave was going to try to hurt me and I was going to try to hurt him. That was just the way life was yeah. uh, back then and, and make a difference with our teammates. And, you know, if you won, you definitely hurt it. If you lost, you definitely hurt it. Um, and, uh, you know, so I have had a lot of, uh, I admired all the guys, most of the guys that, uh, 90% of the guys that were fighters. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I have nothing against any of the guys in Hershey. So this season, I believe that uh, Harry Sinden actually replaced uh, Jerry Cheevers behind the bench. Was that a good? Uh, was that good for your career? Oh, Harry Sinden was. I would say Harry Sinden was the best. He was unbelievable as a coach, and, and what an aura he had around him. Uh, you could see why he, because he used to coach. Yeah. And uh, you know, he commanded a lot of respect, uh, and he. Uh, I really enjoyed playing for Harry. Really, really, really enjoyed playing for him. I, I wish I had had him for a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, you know that. You know, I think it was Butch Corey that came in next. Yeah. Mm-hmm. After Harry, and yeah. Butch was great too. But yeah. Harry was just something that you're looking at. Uh, you know, one of the original general tops, the, the big six GMs, I think it is, yeah. back in the day, right? And, yeah. and you see the the power. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to play well. Um, you want you know you're not just playing for your coach you're playing for your general manager now too but you're also playing for your your guys on the ice there was a very much you could distinguish and you know i i was never one that uh did i want to play well yet because harry was coaching absolutely i mean i don't you don't need to be an einstein to figure that out Um, but i was also very able to sit there and go you know what i know what my role is i know what my job is i know what i have to do i was playing a lot when uh, my third year in boston uh, I, I got to play a lot. Unfortunately, I you know got another broken bone, forty some games into the season. Um, but I will never take that experience with Harry was one that, uh, as a coach, um, I know we had uh, you know when it got into negotiations and I went into arbitration, it, it was never a good thing. Um, but I love Boston. I was treated really incredibly well by the people of Boston. Um, but Harry definitely was was uh, one of the top coaches I ever played for. That's great. Well, that season, there's a few guys I want to ask you about who you battled with. Uh, one of the first games you played that year, you had uh, two fights in a game in Calgary. Uh, Jim Puklinski and Tim Hunter, both pretty uh, pretty tough guys. One of the one of the things that excites me about interviewing you is that uh, you fought a lot of guys from, from the 80s that uh, a lot of the guys that I've interviewed before you, they didn't play back then. So not only do I get the point of view of someone who actually played during during one of my favorite eras, but you can also talk about some guys like a Jim Poplinski, like a Tim Hunter. Uh, that has to be uh, pretty tiring, I would think, fighting those two guys in one game. Yeah, well, well, Pat, uh, Jim was, he was a player, though. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. He, he could play the game, and, and he had that intensity, um, and he had a no, his, his zero tolerance, no nonsense. That's the way I kind of looked at him, right? And yeah. I was respected the way he played the game because he played the game the right way for yeah. me. Like uh, when I look at a guy who plays hard nose, he goes to the dirty areas. He has zero fear. Um, he's there for his teammates. Uh, I would say I don't know Jim really well, but I would say his character is, is undeniable, a, a great character person. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could have that aura around him. And, and, and a lot of times when Jim, like when it happened with Jim, was it, it's just it was the game right um and i remember that face like it, it, he was so wanted to kill me <laughs> <laughs> but I, it, of course i had no my face but i'm pretty sure i was the same way around him too yeah. and i don't think it was a much of a fight if i can remember correctly right 
Um, I, I don't think it was anything where anybody killed. I think it was grabbing and yeah. holding on and kind of stuff like that. But mm-hmm. you know, again, he, he was he was more than he wasn't a fight. He wasn't to me a real fighter. He was a guy that was accountable, but he was also a very effective hockey player too for for the team. Uh, Tim Hunter, I always had a lot of respect for Tim. Yeah. Uh, Tim played hard. Uh, another guy that I think Tim has his character is unbelievable too. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, but I don't think when I look back and I think of all the guys that I fought, there was a group that were just above all of us, or I want to say all of us. I I would say there was a group that, uh, they were the elite. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyone who was willing to drop the gloves and pay the price and, and, and fight for their team or fight. And that's what it was about back then. We weren't fighting for individual attention we were fighting because we wanted to make a difference in our way that we could help a team be successful. And I think Tim, Tim and Jim Babinski were obviously key players for them in that way that they were not going to take anyone. Nobody was going to come in. And, and I had that reputation when I came in that, you know, back in that time, I, I, I would say I was regarded as fairly tough. Yeah. And, and I didn't care. I, I, I lived by a simple rule uh, and it didn't matter where I played it. Boston, was when I was first in Boston, and, and this is kind of a comical story because we, I ended up at the Islanders, so it's, it goes into it. But when I played for Boston, that, those were my boys. Those were, those were my brothers. Uh, you touch them. If you played the game straight up, I didn't have a problem with it. You know, suck it up, butterfly. I mean, if you can't take a hit, you know, that's life. Uh, but if you if you were hacking and whacking like a Barry Peterson or a Rick Middleton or any of these guys, I was going to do it twice as bad. Yeah. I mean, I was going to give it to you. You, you. you want to mess around? Well, it's coming right back at you. And I'm going to be there, and if you want to go, let's go. And the winner who's ever standing at the end wins, mm-hmm. whether it's me or the other guy. Right. But I'm always going to come back a second and third and fourth time too. Mm-hmm. So I live by that rule. And so when I, got, uh, when I went to arbitration to New York, I remember they bought the, the Boston players got me, like, unbelievable. We had a morning skate. Yeah. And... Uh, the guys, uh, they were on after us. So the boys in Boston, which was one of the most difficult games I ever had to play um, because of Jay Miller. Jay and I were, were pretty good friends, but um, they had put a stick, our trainer in New York that the Islanders gave me a, a goalie stick and had two blades on it and the puck was broken in five places. <laughs> and it said, Here's, here is Colonel's first goal in the National Hockey League. Oh, and man. then it was signed by the players, right? That's great. So it was, an, it was, it was so much fun, you know. And then I had to go play him that night. And then, you know, Jay came up to me in the game, Jay Miller, and, he, and he's like, Colonel, you know, he says, you know, I gotta know, don't you? And I said, Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> and uh, you know, Jay fought, we, Jay and I fought in New York, and then we fought and back in Boston. Yeah. Uh, I fared much better in, in New York, and I, I would say it was a draw in Boston, but. Jay was such a, he's, you know, another guy that I had a lot of respect for. He's just a good person. And, yeah. you know, uh, fighting is, is a real funny thing. You get off one good punch, uh, you can, you could, that can be the difference in the whole fight. You miss with that punch, uh, you could be in trouble. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. Um, another guy I want to ask you about um, is the other side of the Battle of Alberta. Again, someone that a lot of people probably look at as the upper echelon. Uh, you fought Dave Semenko in uh, in Boston, uh, yeah. And Dave is one of those guys that uh, you know everyone knows. You know Gretzky's uh, bodyguard, 
and everything. Yeah. Um, you remember fighting Dave? Oh, yeah, I remember. And I also played with Dave in Toronto at the yeah. end of his career, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? Dave, I got Dave at near the end of his career as, as a fighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I bring this up because it was I think it was somewhat the same for me near the end of mine. Is it, I'm feeling the same way, Dave. It was very difficult because the young guys are coming in and they wanted to take you on. And you could handle that for two or three years. And, mm-hmm. Then after a while, I guess, you know, I, 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 there's a lot of things about Dave Semenko. I was very fortunate enough to play with Dave, and, and what an incredible guy he was. Yeah. Just a funny, funny human being, too. Um, but Dave, uh, that one was really, uh, that was Terry O'Reilly was fighting, and I can't remember who Taz was fighting. It was a four, three on three, and it ended up being like basically a five on five. And I got, I got Dave at, and I got I, I got lucky, David. I think David tripped on a stick, or I had hit him, but he had tripped on a stick. And anyway, he was on the ground, and I got my my uh, legs on his uh, arms, my knees on his arms, and I'm like, "Don't move!" And I'm not going to hit you. Yeah. And you know, then Dave got freaking. He did something he shouldn't have done, and uh, you know, so he he needed to get hit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then Dave and I end up playing together, and, he, and he's just such a great guy. But um, you know, he 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 had the big fight with Larry Playfair. I remember if you go way back in the day, it was the Battle of Al- the big battle in Alberta was uh, Larry uh, Larry Playfair versus Dave Semenko, um, and uh, that's when they were at their best. Like that, that I remember being a kid and looking at that and going, "Wow, that's too big. That is too big human beings." Yeah. And uh, I fought Larry my first time, and uh, he sent me into another planet. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, he, he he kicked my ass in every different direction. But uh, you know, he was tough. He was probably tough. To a lot of guys. Yeah, he he was. And uh, the comical story about that was, is I ended up playing in Buffalo, and Larry's wife had come up to me, and uh, Larry introduced me to his wife, and she goes, "Oh, you're Brian Curran." <laughs> and I feel so bad for you, and. <laughs> Um, I'm like, okay, well, I do too, but you know, <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, it, the, the funniest part about that, Joe, was was the, the guy, like, I got hit in the first period, uh, and the, and I wasn't ready to be in that fight. It was the first time in pro hockey I was sent off a bench to fight Larry, and I remember tagging Larry with two punches, and then after that, I don't remember a thing, but I do remember once they fixed my teeth and everything. Uh, I said, all right, guys, let's go out for the second period. The trainer looks at me and he goes, Colonel, the game's been over for 20 minutes. Oh, and, and then USA, it was a USA Today guy says, uh, you know, something to the effect of how hard was that punch? And I said, well, you know what? I got hit in Boston and I'm somewhere over St. Louis right now. <laughs> it was hard. Yeah. Um, wow. But but back, to, you know, David was, uh, again, a, a guy that you'd look at it and you'd go, oh, that's a lot of respect. Yeah. Uh, a lot, a lot of. I, again, I had a lot of respect for him. Um, another guy that you ran into a few times because he was in the same division uh, with the Whalers was Tory Robertson. Uh, oh, Tory. Yeah. So uh, you ran into him a few times. Uh, what are your memories of Tory? Tory was a gamer. Yeah. Like Tory didn't care. I'd give a rat's ass about anybody. Like like Tory had zero fear. Uh, he was really really intense and and he had a look that. You know, uh, when you look at a guy who's a fighter, Tory knew what his job was, but he had just this, he had those eyes that you just, you know, 
be careful kind of thing. Just watch, you know. And and again, I've been told I have the same eyes too. But again, you can't see your own eyes yeah. when you're fighting. But Tory, I again, uh, he went into a fight, and whether you were seven feet tall or whatever, he was going to go until you basically knocked him out. Yeah. Uh, and he had success against guys. Uh, against the bigger guys, he had zero fear. He'd fight everyone. I, I think he would struggle against some of the bigger guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, you know, I know I said the word a thousand times over, but respect. Yeah. I just remember Tory's face. I remember he was intense every single freaking time, and he was there to kick your ass. And you know what? I was there to do the same thing. And when it came to guys, I have then you know when a fight is over. We might say a few words to each other, but then it's over, and and now yeah, we go play hockey. There was never any, you know, uh, never with Tory was there ever coming back for seconds or thirds. Never was like that. We we did our thing and we tried to kick each other's asses, and then after it was done, we just played hockey. And the thing with Tory is there were a lot of times, and I mean the Adams division was fierce back then, and there were a lot of times that Tory Robertson was doing the job, and he, I don't want to say he was alone, but if you compare the guys he had on his team compared to say who you had in Boston or the guys in Montreal or the guys in Buffalo. Uh, I think Wally Weir was, was with him for a little bit, but a lot of times yeah. he was almost by himself doing the job, and that's that's not an easy job to do when you're going up against the Bruins and the Canadians and the Sabres and Quebec. That's tough to do by yourself. Well, I, had, I fought Wally, and I think I fought Wally when he was with Quebec. And Wally was, that was, that was, were a fight that I got off like real fast mm-hmm. um, and uh, uh, you know yeah they, you know that wasn't a good fight for, for Wally but uh, as Wally is, is is a guy that is a true you know he, he's a gamer yeah. uh, Wally was marking down the next days we played against each other and you know as, as I say that, you know, that was a fight that I would say that there, I was, I won that fight. But there has been fights that you can turn around and say, "Well, I was feeling the same way Wally was." And when I got, you know, when I when I wanted a second chance back, and, and Wally waited. But uh, you know, you sit there and you look at the the people that Wally was fighting uh, single handedly. Like there wasn't that that backup yeah. uh, for you. Um, and in all honesty, Joe, I, I I somewhat felt the same way when I was in with the Islanders at, at times. I, I I had a great time in New York, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I you know when I got to meet Al Arbor, Mr. Arbor, I mean what a fantastic guy. And Kenny Morrow was my partner, and yep. he was phenomenal. So, uh, but at times I, I I have to say I felt alone. Yeah. Um, and and you don't want that feeling. It, mm-hmm. it was addressed and, and straightened out, and, and that's what good teams do. Yeah. Um. You had mentioned that you and Chris Nyland didn't always see eye to eye. In the following season, I think there was an incident where he butt-ended Rick Middleton, and I think he got suspended for it. And then I think the next time you played him, you fought him twice in that game. So is it safe to assume that that was uh, retaliation for the butt-end on Middleton? Oh, it was all over the paper. Yeah. That one was built up everywhere. That was back in Montreal, and, and I remember when I saw the butt-end, um, we already didn't care for each other, Chris yeah. and I. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's one tough SOB. I'll, t- I'll tell you that much. Oh, for Chris, sure. Chris Nyland was had stamina like I've never seen anyone in my life. Yeah. Um, and he knew how to fight me too. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- what he had done then was a time where, uh, you know, I don't. I look at it back at that time in, in you know that place that time, 
And I remember saying that uh, a reporter asked me, uh, you know, are you going to do anything about it, basically? And I said, just, you know, uh, basically what comes, what goes around comes around type thing. And, uh, you know, then it went from there and it built up. I was, you know, I, I wish I had chosen my words properly, probably back then. But as soon as we got there, I knew uh, Montreal got a hold of that. It was a good, there was several days of build up to that thing. It became huge. Yeah. And then Chris and I fought, and um, there was no question Chris could outlast me. Um, he was better at holding on and grabbing me and then waiting till I got tired, and then he'd start throwing because he just had more. I was more of a probably a minute guy. He was probably more of a two-minute guy. Yeah. Um, so I had to learn. We had tie-downs back then, and I do remember the one time I was like, I know it's coming, but he always gets that, that jersey and that tie-down. So I just said, screw it, and I hadn't did my tie-down, and I deliberately pulled out of it. Right after the first couple of punches, um, and, and it was successful in that fight. But then Chris comes back, and then he does, you know, he basically, you know, gives it to me too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we didn't. There, there's, there's no, there was no love lost between Chris and I, none at all. Um, you know, and and that's, you know, I would never. Uh, I was no saint, no angel, or anything like that. But I would never have done or butt ended a player in the mouth. Never would have done that. Um, that, that, you know, sometimes you feel things and, you know, you wish you could take back certain things. If I cross-checked and gone a little too high sometimes, yeah. Like, like I said, I'm no saint, but I, I the, the face and head were something I didn't really, uh, unless it was punching. Yeah. But stick-wise, and that's what, prov- that's what provoked that whole thing. And I knew my role and my job is, you know, but uh, when I look at Chris and I think of Chris, I think of a guy that... Uh, he, he, you talk about a guy who wasn't uh, tall, but I'll tell you one thing: he could fight against anybody, and he and he could win, and yeah. he could win fights. Uh, you know, he's kicked my ass, you know, too. So uh, you know, in that pers- that way, yeah. Uh, there, there again, as I have the respect for Chris did all the time, but in that one particular incident, uh, I didn't have any. Uh, this season, also, uh, I think it was the first time uh, that you fought. Bob Probert and Joe Koser, and it just happened to be in the same game. So just like I had, I had mentioned, uh, yeah, you fought Jim Poplinski and Tim Hunter in the same game. Now you have two legit legends that you're fighting in the same game. That takes some pretty big balls, if you ask me. Well, Bob, and Bob is the other one that we had no time for each other either. Mm. Um, but Bob, like, you talk about a guy who can score goals and fight. Like, I remember when we fought, it was in the corner, and I think I hit Bob with two punches, and we were fairly well the same height. Mm-hmm. And then Bob's arm just pushes out. Like, it must have been a couple inches longer than mine. Right. And I'm like, holy cow, this guy took my first two punches, and it doesn't even look like it, sh- like it shattered or, or bothered him. Right. And I was like, damn, I'm in for it now. And then, the, you know, the, the, the rivalry between us continued to build every game. And I was, again, I provoked a lot of the stuff with Bob, and... Uh, you know, I will. I, I was asked to talk about Bob. I know he mentioned me in his book. Has called me the dirtiest fighter in hockey, and blah 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 blah. But and and, and the guy called me up on it, and that was that was tough when yeah. when, when 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 Bob passed. Uh, I wish that had no one in, in, right. in the circumstances too. So yeah. Um, yeah. I, I I leave it at uh, you know Bob and I had our differences. There's no question, but uh, he, he was a yeah, he was a player. He could play the freaking game, and he was as tough as they probably get. He, he would probably be mentioned in the top. Well, he's either one, two, or three. Yeah. 
it depends. There's some pretty tough guys, but he's he's one of those three in my book anyway. Um, and you can rotate the order now. Joey, on the other hand, he was a scary, scary, scary. Uh, like if he hit you, like he was notorious. Uh, obviously, people if they remember Jim Kite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he hit Jimmy in the head and cracked his helmet open, right? That, that give you an idea of how powerful that punch was. Yeah. Um, and Joey had a swagger about him. Uh, like Joey and Bob were completely different. Joey had a swagger about him on the ice that he was just the shit. Yeah. Like I actually liked it. Like you know when I played against him because there was always that 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 thing. And and in actual fact, when I went to Toronto. The reason John Cordick was traded to Toronto was because I was facing Bob and Joey all the time. It was either one or the other that I was fighting, right? So they brought in John uh, to kind of even that out a little bit so I wouldn't be getting hit from both sides. Uh, I will say fighting both of those guys was, if if you're asking me, was I nervous before a game about it, I would say absolutely a good nervousness. Yeah. Uh, A nervousness that I think in my mind you had to have. uh, If you didn't, you wouldn't be successful at it. And doing that fighting, um, but they uh, and I and but you know they were tough. I remember Jacques Demers. Uh, Jacques was. Uh, I had some several talks with Jacques, especially when I got done with hockey and and, and, and that. Um, and we had some really good talks about those days. And uh, when I look at Joey and Bob, and and I think of uh, you know. I don't know where Joey is anymore. I hope he's doing well. He's probably got a family in that. But I had a lot of respect for Joey. I mean, Joey knew what he had to do. And he, he was definitely, he's another guy that I would, you have to be really careful with because Joey could be a top five or maybe a top 10. Mm-hmm. Um, but like if he hits you with one of those punches, oh my God, you'd be in La La Land. <laughs> and there's no question of that. So, um, you know, and, and and Joey is Wendell Clark's they're they're related cousins yeah. I think mm-hmm. um, so I, you know I got to meet Joey on a different level one time and you know off the ice I, I can tell people in general Joe the, most of the tough guys are some of the nicest guys you'll ever meet you, you'd sit there and go really like he seems like such a gentle Ben uh, most and very easy to get along uh, and and that kind of stuff uh, the guys I know yeah and sometimes they joke you know they joke around a lot of them too and stuff like that uh, but they also know we played in an era where you had to that was part of our job mm-hmm. uh, but those two guys one two i'm gonna say one two that's gotta be a probably in my career that's a pretty damn big one two. Oh, no question no question uh, and joey yeah so uh unfortunately again this season uh you broke your leg um you come back for the playoffs now, after the playoffs, you're a restricted free agent. So did you think there were going to be teams that were uh, looking at you to sign you, sign you? or Because I guess it's a big difference when you're restricted than the team that signs you owes your old team a player or some compensation, whereas if you're unrestricted, you just sign with whomever you want. So did you uh, were you aware that teams were interested in you? Oh, yeah, I was actually very surprised. Um like when you come to that day when you know you're especially when I, I I hear all the teams like it was five I think it was five and I was like whoa I mean okay um, and that was a time that people that you just were walking into the salary disclosure mm-hmm. 
So it wasn't yet out, but there was, you know, you could find out certain things. So I remember um, more than anything, I, I didn't really want to leave Boston, uh, but I wasn't prepared because I was, I, I was smart enough to realize that the game was going to change and that my career might uh, maybe more have four or five years left in it before I see a complete uh, change in the game. Yeah. And where the tough guy may be getting weeded out a little bit. So that's my mind was thinking that way. Yeah. Back when I was 24, I think it was. Or, or whatever, 23, whatever it was. Yeah. And so I just wanted to get security. And, I, and, and we couldn't come to terms in Boston. Uh, the final deal with Boston was basically, a, it was a one-year deal. Uh, where everywhere else I was getting three. Okay. And so, you know, it wasn't against Boston whatsoever because uh, Boston embraced me. Uh, you know, I look at Terry O'Reilly and I go, you know what, uh, if I could have the career and stayed in Boston that Terry O'Reilly had in Boston uh, and the way he was looked at from people and his teammates and the organization, he was one of the classiest guys I've ever met. Yeah. Uh, I would have loved to have stayed in Boston. But at that, that being said, I wasn't ready to, to gamble with one year uh, when I was getting three years offered from, you know, four other, five other teams. So, and then obviously Paul, uh, the compensation that year was Paul Boudelier, who ironically now Paul and I worked together for the, you know, Maloney Thompson Sports Agency. Oh, I didn't know he worked there too. Yeah, Boots is uh, works with all our defensemen. Uh, he's he's had a, a great career as uh, not just a player, but he's also working with all defensemen uh, at, at every level, especially NHL level too. So, um, the Islanders are your second uh, NHL team, and although you're now uh, it would have been your fourth season, um, and, and you're a veteran, let's say. But now you're walking into a locker room, and there's still some pretty legendary guys here from the dynasty years, like Boston, oh. Trottier, Dennis Podvin, Billy Smith, Kenny Morrow. So even though you're a veteran, are you still, and I don't want to say awestruck like a kid, but you're walking into basically a locker room full of legends. What's that like? Well, it is. You're, you are in You are in awe. Yeah. Um, because I, I because I know all of these guys. Yeah. Not, not like before I even came to the NHL. Uh, I would say hands down, Kenny Moreau uh, and I got along unbelievable. Mm -hmm. uh, he he was he was my favorite player to. He taught me a lot about how to play defense. Even when I was three years into the league. Yeah. Um, you know about angles and and feet and positioning and stick and. Uh, I just, we had a really good relationship. It's not that, uh, you know, I, I was lucky enough to know Ken and his wife, Barb. Mm -hmm. um, I know Steve Conroy was a really good person. Brad, uh, Gilbert was there. He was good. Gibby. Um, Pat Flatley. Yeah. Uh, Brent Sutter, Dwayne Sutter. They were a lot of really good guys. But Boston, Boston Trots, they, they had an incredible, um, I could tell when I was there, um, that they were, they were like brothers, mm -hmm. and and it and it definitely showed in the way they played the game. They, they had such a sync with each other, yeah. uh, and knowing where each other was. And uh, I was amazed when I first remember seeing Boss, how strong he was. He was 
friggin' ridiculously strong and very, very, very intelligent. Uh, Trotz was, uh, uh, Brian was a very uh, intellectual. Yeah. Uh, very, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? It's not going to come to me, but calculated. Okay, yeah. Um, he, he knew the game and understood the game and understood the other team, uh, the, the, their, what they're good at, what they're not good at. Um, it was it was uh, a pleasure to play with them. It was a pleasure to watch them. Yeah. Um, I wish I was there when, you know, obviously I would have Stanley Cup rings on my finger, but yeah. I wish I was there in the in the height of their career. Yeah. Because it must have been amazing to watch them yeah. uh, when they were winning and when they you know when they ended the Oilers' reign, uh, and then they went on for their big run. Uh, or sorry. Who was it? The Islanders were first, then the yeah, Oilers. The Islanders were first. Uh, the Oilers ended the Islanders' reign. But mm-hmm. I would love to have been there for that. But I was really fortunate enough to be in a group of people that uh, won the championships. And what it like? What it's like to be around guys that win Stanley Cups? Um, just a whole different world, and and they know what it takes. Like as somebody who's been. Uh, a part of championships all the way from Pee Wee, Bantam, Midget, uh, Major Junior, and American Hockey League. Um, I, I can tell you that uh, I, I, you know, I have a pretty good idea, but when it gets to the Stanley Cup, it, it's just another level. Yeah. And to do it as many years and to come back year after year after year, to just listen to these guys, and I will tell you one thing, they really held each other both each other accountable back in the day yeah like oh god yeah they they were brothers to the end and if somebody was letting down they were going to hear it uh that was some of the, the things i that i saw and understood even though we we weren't successful in, in you know to win a cup or anything but i can tell you to watch the way they are the, the no quit not like you never quit to the till the, the buzzard went didn't matter the score um, and then you saw you saw what winners were really like. What though we didn't win, you could see what they were what they were, and you wanted to be part of that. You want you know, and, and unfortunately it didn't work out for me. But to to, to play with them was uh, that that was another highlight of my career. And one guy who was there but he wasn't playing anymore. He had retired, but he was your assistant coach. Was uh, Mister Island Bobby, Bobby Nystrom. Uh, I mean, Bobby is a legend here, as you know, and he's still a yep. legend to this day. Um, how cool was it playing for Bob Nystrom? Well, I, you know, when I came and played, I swear to God, Bob wanted to play again. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh, I bet. Because <laughs> I think he just went through that transition, right, of being the player just recently. You know, there, I, I don't know what it was, Joe. Was it a couple of years? He was a coach, or was it, or was it just a transition night one year? I can't remember. No, I think he I think was, there was a couple of years. years. I think he was there because he was with... Uh, he was with Terry when when yeah. you were there, and then I know he stayed on. Uh, I think he stayed on another year, and I'll never forget. I don't think you were there. I don't. I don't know what year this was, but I'll never forget. Uh, someone I think took a swing at Al Arbor at the Meadowlands, and uh, Nystrom basically wanted to jump over the glass at the bench because Arbor was just there. He wasn't the coach, and he's sitting there. And Bob Nystrom, even as the assistant coach, is trying to get over the glass to get in the stands to try to get at this guy that uh, tried to get at Al Arbor. So. I, I'm sure he wanted to come back and play, and, and the guy's always in shape. So, well, he was always in shape, and you know, I think, I think it's hard. I know it was. I can't speak for for him, for Bobby, but I knew when I finally left the game, and I'm my first couple of years of coaching pro in the East Coast League. 
I was sitting there going, I so want to go out on the ice because these guys are just not getting what they need to do. It's yeah. not it's not recreating the wheel here. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's like, you know, just show some heart and character. I mean, to me, to me, systems were not an issue whatsoever. I, I understood systems easily. To, to get players to understand what it takes to play every day, mm-hmm. uh, I just I couldn't get over it when I was a coach. Yeah. Like, uh, but Bobby was never like that way. I mean, Bobby just was one hundred ten percent, and that's what he expected out of his players. At the end of the day. Yeah. Now, you had mentioned when we were talking about doing the job alone. And one of the things that I always tell people, uh, what I remember about your time here, you were, to me, you were basically the bridge as far as, like, toughness goes, enforcers go to the old guard, like the Gillies, the Nystrom, and then there was you, and then it led to, like, the Vakotas and the Bombers and those guys. And I think the job you did, and I think this is why, uh, and again, pumping your tires a bit, why I'm such a big fan of yours is because... I remember there really there wasn't another heavyweight to help you here. You had a you had guys that would help you like an Alan Kerr, Dale Henry, uh, on defense. You had Gerald Diddick, but in terms of of like a, an actual heavyweight, you a lot of nights, most nights, you were basically by yourself. And I don't know if you could have done the job any better while you were here on the island. Well, you know, and, and I played with a lot of great guys there, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and but did I go through a time for me personally that? Uh, and the players that I played with know it. Yeah. Um, that I was um, getting tired of it. Like I knew what I was paid to do. I got. I understood it. I understood the, what my job and role was. But you know, even a guy that does that all the time, he needs to know that. Um, at that one particular time, I remember it was in Edmonton, and I had McSorley and McClellan both that game. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going. Um, my parents were there, and they were up 5-2. Kenny and I had actually had a really good game, and then I went on the ice with about a minute and a half, and, the, and a game that didn't even, it was done. And I re- remember Big Mac go, uh, McSorley going up to Macker and going, we'll just dump it in Colonel's Corner and, and go after him, right? Yeah. And I heard him before the faceoff. Yeah. And they were going to run me. They weren't going to fight me. They were going to run me. Yeah. So I took the left winger. I can't remember his name at the time. I said, you go back and play defense. And he was like, what? <laughs> so I said, this ain't going anywhere. And I looked at Mac and I said, you're going to die right now. <laughs> and that puck, had this had red linesman's hand went up to drop it. And by the time that puck hit the ice, I already hit Mac. Yeah. And I remember after the game, I was, you know, I was just like, I was totally frustrated. Mm-hmm. And what I was asking for the players, and, and this is why the Islanders were so good. Um, they listened to, I mean, they let me calm down. Mm. And then they heard what I had to say. And basically I was asking, I said, boys, you know, for me, I'll be there for every single one of you. Mm-hmm. Like every single time. I will. But every once in a while, you know, I need you there for me too. Mm-hmm. Or, and that, not, not fighting guys. Yeah. I, I, you know, there's, you know, the roles of some of the players were definitely not fighting. That that was easily understood. And I'm not crying the boo-hoos here. Right. And, but at the end of the day, I don't care what uh, what tough guy you're talking about. We all we, we, we are human. Yeah. And when you at that stage, at that moment, that didn't last more than 24 hours to tell you, but that was corrected, and then we became closer and better, mm-hmm. and we started playing better too. 
So uh, maybe, you know, I'm not patting myself on the back or anything. I'm just telling you how I exactly felt at that moment. Right. And um, again, knowing my role, I was very willing to do it, but I needed to make sure that I had my back covered and that got done. And again, you look at the Islanders and you say, you know, why are they successful? Because they addressed the issues. They addressed them quickly. Well, when you signed with them, uh, you were immediately thrust into the Ranger Islander rivalry. I believe it was your first preseason game at the Garden. You ended up fighting Don Jackson and fighting Terry Karkner. Uh, now you had come from the Bruins where you had a couple of rivalries there. And now you're stepping into the Islander Ranger rivalry. Um, and I kind of get the feeling that when you stepped on the ice, am I wrong that you kind of liked the, being, playing the role of the villain a little bit? Like, did you enjoy going into Madison Square Garden as an Islander and then uh, mixing it up with their players? Oh, hell, I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> I absolutely, that was my, that was my most fun. And you know who made it fun? And, and, and to get to understand New York people, especially at Madison Square Garden. I knew when I was done playing there, and I moved on, the one thing I'll say about the, the Rangers fans, anyway, they hated my guts. <laughs> and the more they hated my guts, the more I loved making them hate it more. Yeah. Like, I wanted to push them to a place where, where in actual fact, they got there one game, where a fan and a friggin' expensive suit it looked like he spit on me in warm-up and I pulled the old uh, slap shot thing and I he had his fingers on the glass and I put my stick right over his fingers and then he lost it I loved it <laughs> like, you're love gonna it. spit on me well screw you yeah and uh, but uh, I the more they got um, pissed off at me mm-hmm. um, that wasn't uh, that that wasn't my point to get the fans pissed off at me uh, I could like I didn't care. My job was on the ice, and, I, and I'll tell you something about me. Once I was on the ice, mm. to honestly tell you, I never hurt fans. Yeah, never. Uh, and now, if it's a stoppage of play or a goal score, mm-hmm. but when I was playing or on the bench, I, I just tuned right into the game. Now, if an incident or something happened, obviously I could hear it. Yeah, um, and they could hear what they're saying and stuff like that. But it was the players on the other team. Like, I remember Phil Esposito was behind the bench one game. And I remember uh, Donnie Jackson was on the bench, I think it was. And um, I, I, I went into the bench, into their bench that one game. Mm-hmm. And I think I went at Donnie. Not, might not have been Donnie, it was somebody else. Anyway, and, if, and I said, I just looked at Phil. I said, all day, all year, every, every game. <laughs> I don't care. Don't care. Yeah. And what I learned about the Ranger fans is, you know, if I had played for the Rangers, they would have loved it. Of course, but I was playing, and when that when I first uh, walked into Madison Square Gardens, I was in awe of that building. Yeah, it was one of the coolest buildings I've ever seen in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, how high it is, how many floors yeah. up, this kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. But I was sitting there going, "This is an atmosphere." There's only one other place. Well, there's a few other places. Uh, Boston Garden, Montreal Forum. Uh, had this aura around it that was unbelievable. Uh, Chicago Stadium, the old stadium, was unbelievable. During the anthem, was unbelievable. But Madison Square Garden was just, uh, yeah, it was a place. That I, if I was the villain, I wanted to be. I want to make sure I lived up to that whole villain thing because I just thought it was total. It was real for me, and it was entertainment for them. Well, I mean, I think that's part of. 
part of the reason why uh, you endeared yourself to me so much was because, and I say this about Mick Vakoda too, when Mick was here, he hated the Rangers as much as I did. He, you got the feeling that Mick, you know, he wasn't born here, but he loved playing the Rangers and he hated the Rangers as much as every Islander fan. And I always got the same impression from you also. Well, you know what it was? It's like, um, I guess I put it in there, not not to, like, the, the hate word for me has never been a great word for me. Uh, you know uh, what I mean, though, but, like sports. But, but, but in the context that we're saying it, yes, yeah. absolutely. Mm. Um, because when we played against them, I didn't, uh, again, I, I, I always believed that I played an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth kind of routine. Mm. You touch my guys, I didn't care who you were. Mm-hmm. And they just, they, the Rangers kind of just had an attitude about them that, uh, as Montreal did, and yeah. those are the two teams that uh, there's just a, a confidence about them and aura around them. And I basically was like, okay, I'm going to do my job and have a hell of a lot of fun, just really trying to drive you nuts <laughs> and piss you off and get into your kitchen and and do whatever is possible to to help us win. But if somebody you know you ask me, did I enjoy it? Yeah, that's 100% I enjoyed those those places madison square garden was one of them that was just a fun i look forward to playing there especially with the rivalry between the two well another team that you always uh you always seem to be in the middle of things with was of course the flyers and i remember i think it was a it was an early season game uh ed hospitar uh hit dale henry pretty low and you it was like you didn't even think twice it was just automatic you intervened and went after ed and to me, that is just a perfect example of why the Islanders and all those other teams wanted you because I, I remember that. And uh, you know, do you remember that incident with uh, oh, yeah. Aaron Henry? And I know, and I know Eddie too, right? Yeah. And, and and it's funny because you see certain guys, like when Eddie did that, I was surprised that he did it. Yeah. Um, because that's not who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, but he like like I, Eddie was a, Eddie was tough. He was a gamer. Um, and that was just one of those where it's a reaction for me. You hurt my guy, I'm going after you. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I look back at it, I sit there and I go, uh, that that's that DNA that's in a lot of guys that are fighters. Yeah. Uh, in that time and era and place that we knew exactly what we had to do. Mm-hmm. And that was a time right there uh, that that happened. Uh, and I was, was going to do what I had to do with Eddie. Um, it also happened with a really good friend of mine, Lou Franceschetti, mm-hmm. uh, when I was with Boston and, and I was with Ray. Uh, Ray and I were on the ice together, and uh, and Louie, who was one of my best friends at the time, uh, or, you know, not best friends, but very close, mm-hmm. um, he stuck his knee out of Ray. Well, well I, you know, I, I just, you know, just went after Louie big time yeah. and, and fought him, right? And uh, I did hear from his wife back then at the time, too. <laughs> like, what are you doing, Brian, kind of thing. But, yeah. um, it, you know, that was just the way it was for me. And uh, there was zero fear from me uh, doing what I had to do back in those days. Um, it, it, it's, it's, I mean, I hate to say it, but, or I don't hate to say it, but back in that time, if, if your role was what my role was and, and some of the other guys, you really did turn a team around in a lot of different ways back in that time. Not, you know, if you beat a guy up, you can change momentum. That's right. Uh, but more importantly, um, your players understood. And I remember saying through all the t- 
tough guys I've ever played. I remember other players saying, you know, we got Bob, we've got Joey. Like, they're proud to have them on their team or, or, or Brownie or go on and on and on. Um, they, uh, a lot of the tough guys were were held in high regard by the players that weren't that way. Yeah. Um, because they, they understood the role they played and there occasionally was some that, that you know, didn't have any time for us, but very few of them. Um, but like I said, when it's all said and done, you, you, every player has a role that they have to play on the team and they have to do it at their best. And as you know, if you're not doing it to the best of your ability and you're not playing consistent uh, day in and day out, uh, uh, there's a reason there's an NHL draft because somebody's coming to take your job. So yeah. And, and you have to learn to protect yourself. And for people that don't understand the role, in that incident where Eddie hit Dell low, if you didn't go after him, I'm sure Hospitar would have been wondering what's up with Current. Why didn't he? Uh, I'm surprised he didn't come after me because that's just. Oh, he knew it was coming. Right. Yeah. But, Ed, Ed, Eddie knew it was coming. Yeah, but if you didn't go after him, he would have been oh, like, man. "What's up with yeah. What's up with Current? Why didn't he come after me?" You expect it, and and I think you know talk about the respect, um, where I don't think you see it a lot. You see it now a little bit, but some of the guys now I don't think have that same respect, where he expected it. And you went after him, and then it was over. You you exacted the revenge. You defended your teammate, and then it was over. And I don't know if a lot of a lot of the newer age fans quite understand that. But had you not done anything, I'm sure he the first thing he would have thought about is, oh, I wonder if his hand is hurt or whatever. Like it would have been like, what's wrong with the colonel? Yeah, and and, and it would have happened, and yeah. it would have happened from my own team. Yeah, and from uh, their general manager and mm-hmm. everything, they would have been like, uh, there would have been a talking to at that time. But uh, and and that's again a very valid, very good point. Is that um, there 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 is expectations for every player, and like I said, what the role they do, and when that kind of happens, it wasn't something I, that I thought of. Right, it's just a reaction. Again, and it is for a lot of players, or you know, it may come a shift later or the next shift. But there's always a warning. Yeah. Um, when I look at today's game, and uh, I think, you know, just briefly, Joe, when I look at today's game and how fast it is, and the skill level, and the training these guys do. Um, but I, but I do have concerns uh, of the way. I, I think there's. I think we had a lot more respect for the players back in my time. I agree. Uh, in the sense of, you didn't see a lot of real crazy hits from behind, or or head injury, or guys going at heads, or or um, and if it did, there was accountability for doing it. Yep. And if you did it, uh, you got you basically got warned. Uh, and, and you know the funniest thing was is when you look at our in the era that we live in, and I, I always say this to people because it's kind of funny. Um, UFC is probably one of the biggest freaking things on the planet for the last, what, 10 years or whatever it's been? Yeah. And you got millions and millions and millions and millions of people watching two basic gladiators step into a ring and kick the living crap out of each other. Yep. Yep, when you look at hockey, and, and you've got millions of people watching this with the, with the UFC, and then you look at hockey and, and you're getting such a, you know, we got to get rid of fighting in hockey. <laughs> we got to, I, I think there's there's a little issue here yeah. uh, do I think I wanted to, would like to see hockey back in the day of the 60s and that when it was big bad Bruins and the Phillies and all no yeah. um, but I, 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 do, I do think that uh, there would be less injuries today if 
players respected each other a little bit more. Uh, and, and if somebody does step outside that line, well, then, you know what? I, I know people have a hard time with it, but you take care of that one time where the guy stands up for himself one time, it's over with. Yep. It's done. Um, and then you won't see so many of these hits that are happening, the disrespect that's going on in the ice. And, uh, I admire, like I said, I really love watching the playoffs today and have for years and years. But I admire how fast these guys, I could never play this time or, or anything. I, I, I would be, I'd be like a toll tick, a toll booth. Maybe would go by. Uh, but, you know, I also would like to see these players stay around and play the game for a long time. And when somebody decides to take a liberty that it, it, it could be hurtful yeah. and, or, or hurt a guy bad for, out for a season or another, you know, these guys are making so much damn money. I don't know what 30, 40, 50, 60,000, 100,000 dollars is to them. Right. Um, you know, I, you know, for me, you get a little friggin' whack in the head. You're going to learn. Don't do it again. Mm-hmm. And you probably won't see it. But you know, that's another subject, another story, another time. But uh, I do love watching the game, and it is to me, it's the greatest game. I got off track here, but it is the greatest game, and kids get. To there, the kids that, that we work with, I certainly hope they get that opportunity. Well, uh, we're going to go back back in time. We're going to go back to when you played, still were with the Islanders. Uh, another guy that you fought uh, was Gord Donnelly. I think you fought him a few times over your career. <laughs> yeah. This is the first time you fought him, I believe. It was in Quebec, and that was a pretty good fight, uh, You know, especially for me. Like I say, I'm watching it on TV. I don't get hit. But you guys went toe-to-toe for a few seconds there. It ended up being a pretty entertaining scrap, if you remember that one. Oh, yeah. Gord, Gord was tough. Yeah. And he was another one that was, uh, like, a real gamer. Um, and it was funny. Uh, I think Gord and I would probably get along very well off the ice. But on the ice, <laughs> yeah. it was back in a time where everybody's, you know, I, I don't blame any of the guys that I fought. Or, or I don't say not blame or anything. Right. We Like, we had that role. But Gord was another one like Tory Robertson that had that little look to him that was like, okay, you're, you, you know what? He's a gamer. You're going to be in for a long run here yeah. uh, with this guy. And he's never going to be afraid to come back a second, third, fourth, fifth time. Uh, and, you know, and to, to Gord, uh, we, we had some good tilts, um, but we, we also, um, um, we had some good fights. I, I don't think there was anyone that was really um, runaway. Right. Um, but, uh, like I said, uh, again, a million times to you, uh, he's another player. You're bringing names up now that I'm sitting there, and I remember fighting Gordon. I'm like, yeah, he, he was tough. Yeah. And, and he was a gamer, and, again, a lot of respect goes out to, to, to him also. So tell me, talk to me about uh, the night in Philadelphia where you ended up by the Flyers, uh, Flyers bench and uh, Lindsey Carson took a shot at you, uh, and that started a whole brouhaha and uh, ended up being a bench-clearing brawl. And again, this is this is one of the times where you really had to feel like you're out there, you're in the middle of the spectrum, uh, 40 guys on the ice, and you're the only heavyweight, really, for the Islanders, and you ended up pairing off with Rick Tockett. Uh, you remember that whole sequence? Yeah, I remember Lindsey. You know what? Everything is always in the heat of the battle, right? Yeah. And... Uh... You know, uh, I was a mouthpiece as much as some of those other guys were mouthpieces, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember saying, like, Lind wasn't the guy that was going to fight. Right. But he but he sure, you know, was yapping off. And I remember just sitting there saying, you know, like, 
guys that could come out and show it. Like, you know, you, there was very choice words that I was using towards them that we don't want to put out in air. But, yeah. um, you know, then the, some of the tougher guys get involved, right? And mm. Next thing you know, you've got everybody yapping at everybody. And uh, it's like, I remember talks, uh, like, that is not his role. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. But Rick was like, okay, he's a gamer, you know. Uh, I was good friends with Craig Berube. Yeah. Uh, but uh, like talks and uh, talks, you know, he stood up. You know that that that's there's an example of when Rick stood up and fought me. Um, it kind of like okay, I have a new respect for Rick Talkett, and he was an intense hockey player. Yeah. Rick Talkett was a wicked intense hockey player. Um, but again, Philadelphia was a great place too that I enjoyed. Uh, going in and playing against them, yeah. uh, they were kind of like uh, they were kind of uh, fans that I could play for too. Like I like that 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 uh, they admire those guys that are tough and hardworking and battle and compete every night. You can tell those are the kind of fans that that watch the game, right? And and I and enjoyed it. But when that whole thing broke out, it was like you're kind of watching. On, and I'll be honest, Joe, you're trying not to get you know sucker punched from somewhere else. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's the scariest part about when something happens like that, that those things can happen. I've been in a couple of those in my life before where, you, you know, you got to have, you're fighting somebody, but you got to have eyes in the back of your head too because you could get cold cocked. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what the fear, uh, and again, something like that, it really has a way that, you know, you could not ever do that in today's game. Right. Uh, although I think fans would actually enjoy that a hell of a lot more than they say. Yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, uh, I remember uh, all of us were, like, talking like we were, like, uh, Muhammad Ali. <laughs> we were basically kicked the crap out of everybody, right? And it didn't matter. It didn't matter what happened. And it was the fact that we were all together. Now, you, you had made reference to the fact that you were a mouthpiece. You talked as much as anyone. Um, and and you, you really did, as I was doing this research, I did, I, you were very uh, vocal out there. Did, was that also a tactic on your part? Maybe uh, you're, not go, you're not going to intimidate another enforcer, let's say. But a guy your size, you have that look about you, you got the missing tooth and you're yelling at someone. You you could use that almost as a tactic to intimidate some other guys, no? Um, you know what? In all in all honesty, when uh, I looked at my job, as if I could get any player, top player, any player, uh, off the fighter, the fighter's a fighter. They, yeah. I mean, I mean, I I would give it to them. They give it to me. You know, whatever. Yeah. But going after the other players, uh, I had a lot of fun with that because if I was able to get them to think of what I was saying or what I was going to do or whatever, that meant they weren't staying focused on their game. Right. And if they fell into that trap, then I was being successful in getting them playing out of the games. Now, I know that happened a lot over my career because later on in your career, you find out about it from other coaches and players. And, you know, this guy, he hated your guts, Colonel, and <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, I remember Scott Stevens, a fantastic defenseman. 
Like, yeah. I'd go at Scott all the time, right? I knew Scott was never going to fight me. He's a, you know, Hall of Fame defenseman. And, and, and you know, what I don't know Scott, but, yeah. you know, would I target Scott when we played? Absolutely I would uh, yeah. to get him going, to get him not thinking the way he needed to think. That was all planned. Mm-hmm. That was always planned. That was, that was something, uh, any little advantage or edge or anything. And there were some guys that were really good at it, Joe. Like, yeah. I'll give you one, probably one of the best, Dwayne Sutter. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Dwayne Sutter could uh, he, he could get under people's skin big time Dwayne um, speaking about Scott Stevens there was an incident with one of his teammates uh, at the Coliseum uh, Greg Adams uh, he, oh, yeah. he suckered you pretty good and then you almost went you went sailing over a linesman to try to get at him uh, do you remember that incident? yeah and, and again you know when you when you do what I do and you do the talking and, and the stuff like that you provoke like Greg Adams uh, he was so provoked by the incident mm-hmm. um, that he you know did now I was going to go out like if I would have got a hold of him in yeah. that particular time and moment yeah, that probably would have been the that, that was the one thing I couldn't tolerate mm-hmm. um, being being sucker punched yeah, uh, you know that that was to me was not something that I was going to you know, had I got a hold of him, I can't tell you what was going to happen. But I can tell you one thing: there was going to be no quitting me until he, that. Till till then, in that particular time, that he was hurt. Yeah, yeah. Because I just, you know, if I fight somebody and he beats me, he's the better fighter. Yeah. That that particular moment, he's the better fighter. He kicked my ass, and I can take it and move on. And I hate it. Yeah. But I got my ass kicked. So you know, life is life. But when you get hit from from somewhere where you don't see it. Uh, you, you know, that's where, to me, a guy in my time, was he's a marked man for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to get him somehow. Um, this is a question that I have been dying to ask you for probably 30 years. Uh, there was an incident at Madison Square Garden, a line brawl. You were actually on the bench. And as things are kind of settling down, it kind of ends up towards the Islanders' bench, and you're on the end of the bench, and all of a sudden you start having a conversation with Ron Duguay. And it looks like you're saying, hit me, hit me. But at some point he starts talking and you sit, you actually sit on the bench, lean on your stick, and it looks like you're feigning interest in what he has to say. And it has to be one of the funniest things that I can remember about your career. I remember watching it as it happened and literally laughing my ass off because I'm like, oh my God, this is hysterical. The, the whole drama of it all and I, I was always wondering, do you remember what you guys were saying to each other at that moment? No, I really don't, Joe. Mm-hmm. I don't remember how that was going. I like I know Ron, right? Yeah. And Ron is fairly, he's not a very, like I remember, he's not a very confrontational person. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's very soft-spoken. Yeah. And, uh, and, um... I think if I'm trying to remember correctly, it wasn't anything crazy. It was more of a, it wasn't bantering or anything. It right. was more of uh, an actual civil conversation. <laughs> it really, it, you know, like I said, it wasn't like obviously going through the video of your career. I could pick out 50 times where you and the, uh, the guy you were talking to wanted to kill each other. But it was just, and, and I'll send you the video because it was just the way it looked like it was almost like you know are you're not chirping me right like obviously Ron Duguay and you are 
you know, in terms of toughness, you're polar opposites, but it was just hysterical that out of anyone he could have chirped on the bench, let's say, and, and I don't mean chirp like maybe in a negative way, just had a conversation with, that it ended up being with you. And and just the whole thing, it always made me laugh. Well, you, you know, I, I don't remember it all, but I do remember that I don't think I ever had a... Uh, confrontational uh, like words with Ron ever yeah. mm-hmm. uh, I, I think we might have chirped each other like briefly but you know you talk about two like you said two, two totally opposite players like right. uh, you know what if I was it's if I said anything that would have been funny I would have to ask Doogie I can't remember because I would probably say something about his hair yeah <laughs> that's the easy target that's the low-hanging fruit and, and, and you know, like I might have said something that never even affected Ron because right. the, the comical part about it is he ended up playing a game for me in the East Coast Hockey League. Yep, I saw that. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and uh, we, we had Ron and his wife and all that. They were just fantastic people. But I, I don't ever remember anything. And mm-hmm. and, if, and knowing Dewey, whatever I might have said, he probably just laughed at. And oh, if yeah. I put my my hands on my stick and leaning on it, kind of. That's exactly when you see me doing that. Yeah, that's that's a general conversation of just I might have said something smart ass to him, and, right. and Doogie would be just the type of person that would be laughing. Yeah, yeah, and going, Oh, that really hurt Colonel, though. That one got <laughs> bigger, Colonel. Like he would say something to that effect, right? Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, him later on in life coming and, and you know, Jacksonville and playing the game for me. Yeah. Uh, God, it was fun to have Doogie out there with no helmet on and that hair just flowing and uh, mm-hmm. flying around. It, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a great experience that time. And I know you had already mentioned how you don't you never want that played for the accolades, but I do want it noted that um, I guess this is a player award that was voted by the players uh, that season. You did win the player hustle award, and I would imagine that was voted on by your teammates. No? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. And, you know, as I said before, it's, it's I guess, uh, Joe, I've never been a big guy, I've, I've, like I said, with the accolades and mm-hmm. that. But it, it, does it mean something when it comes from your teammates? And that sure does. Right, right. It always does. And, you know, that's that's always something nice. Um, or if you were to come and sit and, you know, look at come to my house and, and say, okay, Brian, where's all your, you know, stuff, your trophies or mm-hmm. this or that or anything, uh, you can just go right under my stairs and they sit in boxes. <laughs> I, yeah, I, well, I just it, it's it, it's hockey to me was it, it's kind of an oxymoron here. Yeah. Hockey to me was such an incredible team sport when you were on the ice. Yeah, and when you were off the ice, it was a very selfish sport mm-hmm. because you really, when you think about it, uh, the careers were the careers are a little bit longer. I think today, I don't know that statistically, but I think they are. Um, than back in my days so you know you really had to learn to watch out for yourself and make sure that you know you, you might have you know your, you might have kids you might have going to private school you might have a cabin a, a boat jet skis whatever um, you want that kind of life you really got to learn to uh, play your best be consistent and and, and friggin remember you've got to take care of number one yeah. uh, and continue year after year after year if you want to have the and stay around in the game so um anyway i'll leave it at that so there you have part one of my chat with the colonel brian curran this is usually the part of the show where i ponder 
who my guest is next week because most of the time I don't have the interview done yet and then it's kind of like okay hopefully we can hook up this week and uh, I'll get an interview for you but fortunately when you have a guy like Brian Curran who is an amazing interview gives you all the time in the world and you chat for almost four hours I can tell you already next week's episode is part two of my chat with the Colonel so stay tuned for that I want to thank everybody for listening and uh, be safe everybody have a great week